Hey now, everybody. Hey now, everybody. Hey now, everybody. All right, there's a three for four you on this Tuesday afternoon in August. The Star Wars Time Show is back. We're live. We're recording. And I can put my motherfucking right leg down on the ground for the first time in nine weeks. So it's not a bad day to be talking some Star Wars here on the Star Wars Time Show. So if you've been keeping score, falling around, falling along, I guess that's a better word to use. I, uh, like a jerk off in my 40s, got a one wheel and ended up breaking my leg on it 30 days into having it early June here. So it's been the, the, the summer of pessimism for me. It's been the summer of sitting around the summer of doing nothing of 2022. Not that that's changed much, Nick, but last week on Friday, I had my first physical therapy day and they granted me some weight bearing powers back to my right leg. So if you're in the Star Wars Time Show Discord or happen to follow my somewhat dead account on Instagram at Haywood Pop, you might have seen an encouraging video of one short, fat man with a beard walking again with crutches. Thank you. Thank you. I know. It was amazing to see. It was difficult to record. It was very emotional. I had to wipe away the tears as my wife was recording me walking through the hallways of OSU Wexner Center East. And uh, I'm somewhat walking again, but not really. I'm 20% weight. It's been nice getting the leg down, as I was telling young Nick before we went live, because keeping your leg up for nine weeks sucks. It it, it makes your hip feel like it's going to fall out. It causes swelling to rush down to your, your, your ankle and your feet. And you can't really do much. You're balancing your entire life on two crutches and one leg. So being able to be somewhat bipedal again has been very, 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 very nice and has increased my quality of life at least 5%. So notice the 5% number. I'm still very limited. A two-year-old could take me out. Like, I mean, they could run up to me and, and push me over and I'd easily fall. So we're not back to normal yet. And according to my therapist, normal or my new normal is looking like <laughs> sometime in 2023. So, yeah, like I, I told Nick here, when this is all said and done, if the world doesn't explode or if we don't catch it on fire... The one-wheel incident of 2022 is looking like it's going to cost me about seven months of normal life. So, boo hiss yuck. I know, wah, it could be worse. I always understand that. I could have got a cancer diagnosis and could be dealing with my mortality. So, I understand all of you that are rolling your eyes, and, and I love you for that. You should hate me for talking about my life and the small victories I have achieved. I get it. I hate people with positive stories as well. And knowing me, you, you can ask Nick. He's like, oh, man, that's great. We're, we're talking in Slack. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. But then then the pessimist kicks in, right, Nick, where I'm like, well, but I really <laughs> I can't do this. And my foot hurts. And my foot feels like someone hit with a bat. And I really can't walk that well. And, and I'm still four months out. So <laughs> it, it, while I may seem positive right now, my friends, don't worry. I'm still pretty pretty down 
on life. But that that's my normal setting. So don't 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 get worried or anything. Don't get alarmed. It's not like my leg made me more depressed of a person than I usually am. It just kind of reminded me of why I live a a pessimistic life. So some good news, some bad news. Some of the old Matt should just change his name to Eeyore News. You know what I mean? If you don't know who Eeyore is, check out Winnie the Pooh. But he and I, we we share an outlook on life and always have. So it's not it's not always fun hanging out with the Eeyores of the world. Right, Nick? Us, us Debbie Downers. <laughs> nothing is ever good. Everything is always bad type of people. Yeah, I mean, that's just how some people are. And you know, there's not much you can do about it. So you just let them... Right. You let them fucking yeah, you let them stew in their own self. Let them be miserable and, and pity and just shake your head. You just move past All right. it. Okay. Well, you know, we, we do like to talk Star Wars on the Star Wars time show, but as things have been the past few weeks due to, uh, you know, really now we, we'd be really gearing up for Andor, but we know uh, thanks to a reveal two weeks ago that it has been delayed. So we're, we're back to kind of twiddling our thumbs and figuring out what or, or, or what not to cover on the weekly edition of the Star Wars Time Show, which is live right now. Come join in every Tuesday on YouTube, 2.30p, E-S-T, A-B-C. You know what I mean? Let's go. Join up. You can get in here with the, the Sir Dorks of the world and the Klondike Studios and the Tones. And hey, we got a new one. Emerson Ford, what up? Darth LVJ, let's go. I agree. All right. So... Since this is a Star Wars time show, Nick, let's go ahead and open up with The Gray Man, because that makes sense, right? It's not even sci-fi, but hey, we, we, we've <laughs> always pledged, at least since the pandemic, that we talk a little pop culture to open the weekly Star Wars time show. And since we don't have a ton of Star Wars topics to get into today, we, we got some good ones. We got some official stuff on Andor, which I want to dig in with my friend here, kind of see where his head, his head is at on all that stuff. We got some stuff from John and Dave, the new Star Wars gurus at Lucasfilm. But really, I mean, it's going to be a, a shorter type of show. Might even get a little Mando Matt game in here. We we all love to see me win, so I like to win. So we'll try to try that. We'll, we'll try to get that game in. But first, quick thoughts on the Gray Man, which which dropped on Netflix a few weeks ago. So this is kind of our day late and dollar short review period, which we are we're known for. We're known for telling you about stuff that's been out for a few years. But who gives a shit? Who gives a fuck? As they like to say. So the gray man, Nick, you know, I I don't know. I I know you haven't seen it or you probably don't even care to see it. Uh, I don't know if you saw some of the buzz around that, like, oh, the Russo brothers, the Avengers guys are reuniting with Evans and blah, blah. Ryan Gosling's in it. Anna DeArmas. I mean, it's got some Hollywood pedigree to it. But apparently when it came out, none of the critics liked it. It it hasn't done so well Mm. on Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, wherever you can get your ratings and reviews that people tend to just review, bomb, and ruin anyway. So who really knows? Um, But being a man that is still fairly sedentary, I decided, you know what? It's a nice weekend this weekend. Why not sit my fat ass on the couch all day inside and catch up on some of these Netflix movies as the company goes further into uh, the, the doldrums of, do we even have a good streaming channel anymore? But I will tell you, I actually found The Gray Man to be very serviceable 
for a, a spy action type of movie that is made for Netflix. Nick, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I, I feel like we've reached a point in in entertainment now where, you know, studios aren't afraid to make movies for Netflix, but to me, they still kind of feel like a movie made for Netflix. Does that make sense? Like, it, it doesn't quite... like. Like this didn't feel like a like a Mission Impossible, but it it, it kind of did. But it felt like a Netflix version of a Mission Impossible. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean they like studios don't put as much effort or money into developing like streaming well, I, movies I, I, because there's no direct return on them. Right. So I, yeah, I, mean, I agree. I get, yeah. I would agree. And I looked this this movie up, and apparently its budget was still two hundred million dollars. So I'm like, well, what the, what's going on here? I mean, the, the Russo brothers that they know how to spend money and make it look like they spent money. And I'm not saying it looks cheap, but it's still, it's weird. It's like these net direct to Netflix movies or limited theater runs to Netflix. They they're missing that one layer of polish that makes them feel like a theater release, like a like a Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, but I think that what what Netflix is like, what their problem is, is that they're buying these films from these studios when the studios know that if they've released them in theaters, it wouldn't make money. That's a good point. And that's Netflix's problem. They're getting like all of like the, like the bottom of the barrel stuff that have like names in it. Like, Oh, this, this movie's got great names in it, but they like the studio probably looked at this film and they were like, this is going to, this is going to bomb. Or it's going to lose us money. Yeah. So we'll just sell it to Netflix and break even. Yeah, because it... I mean, it's got a great pedigree, like I said. Had money behind it. You got Gosling, who I think has won some stuff. You got Evans, who's a... You know, he's a brand, if anything else. I mean, he's a fucking brand. The guy's the guy's done nothing but big-time pop culture movies, I think, since his career started. And then even the Russo brothers are going to have name recognition from the MCU and, and all the movies they made in there. So that, But you are correct. I, I wouldn't say anyone signed up for Netflix to watch The Gray Man. Being a Netflix subscriber, it's nice. They're like, all right, I'll throw it on. I'm already paying these assholes $20 a month or whatever. Uh, it, it's better than watching, you know, um, Iron Chef for the fiftieth time, or or what's that one? Blow. I mean, not that Blow's a bad show, but you know, it's a it's a show about making glass or something like that. So, is it called Blow Nick? Oh, or? That show's fucking awesome. Right. Blown but away. Again, it, We've watched every it's, season. It's of like that. a fucking reality competition show. You're not signing up for a streaming service to watch that type of stuff. At least, at least I'm not. Uh, but you, you aren't wrong. Like, Gray Man is nothing that's going to drive someone to a a service. With that being said, I still found that as our, our one of our most high-profile listeners is saying, Sir Dork, it was entertaining but forgettable. I think that's a good summary of it. it it's worth watching. But it's nothing you're gonna be, you're gonna then go and be like, holy shit! Did you see Gosling and Gray Man? Oh my goodness, the stuff they do, the action sequences—it's amazing. But it's still, you know, if you got two hours to kill and you got you know a buddy over, a significant other, and you want to throw something on that's not gonna make you feel like you're wasting your life or that you may have to perform surgery on your eyeballs, the Gray Man is—it's—it's. It's, you could do worse. Let's just put it that way. I know I didn't sell it high, but me, I would give it a seven out of ten. It, it, it's that type of movie. It, it, it's a higher end, like a low B, high C type of flick. 
So sticking with Netflix movies and reviews, I got a new one for you. Now, this one is somewhat timely, and it does have a Star Wars connection, Nick. Because this movie, Day Shift, which just dropped, I think, last Friday on Netflix, starring Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, and the reason everyone should watch it, Snoop motherfucking dog. All right, that, that's, that's reason enough alone to check out Day Shift. Plus, it's about vampires. But if you're on the live stream and you're looking at the poster I got pulled up, one of the beautiful women that stars in the film is none other than Ahsoka's very own Natasha Lou Bordizzo. So if you want to get a look at what the live action Sabine is like in a role, how she acts, what she's like in an action type of flick, Day Shift is definitely something worth checking out because she... Uh, she plays a fairly prominent side character, but the, the character gets mixed up into some action sequences. So you can kind of get a good uh, look at how Natasha acts, if you've never seen her before in action, as well as her her uh, just, I guess, stunt fighting abilities. And I have to say, Nick, she, um, she checks all the boxes. I, I think based on her performance in Day Shift, we should have no fear about her bringing live-action Sabine Wren to life. Uh, in terms of the movie, Snoop Dogg's in it. So, like, how serious and how Oscar-worthy of a movie can it really be? With that being said, Snoop Dogg is one of my, like, personal spirit animals. All right? I mean, look. I've got my little vinyl Snoop guy on my desk smoking his, well, his blunt fell out. No, his blunt's still in there. We're just, I don't know. I just, I love the guy. I always have, always will. So when I saw Snoop was involved, I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. Vampires, about a vampire hunter. And it, it, like the Gray Man, Nick, it's kind of the same thing. It, it it doesn't quite feel like it was a meant to be a theater release, but it's also not a pile of shit that looks like a bunch of YouTubers filmed it. What I will tell you is the concept's kind of neat, the whole vampire hunting thing as a as a job and a vampire hunter union, all that fun stuff. Snoop Dogg has a insane, over-the-top, you're-just-gonna-laugh-your-ass-off type of action moment because it's so ridiculous. Dave Franco, who I think is trying to come back out of his rapist brother's shadow, is is pretty funny in it, kind of playing that Dave Franco side character, funny guy, innocent guy role. And then, like I said, you got the the lovely ladies and one of them being Natasha Lou Bordizzo, an upcoming Star Wars actor. So uh, Day Shift's got some very unique action sequences with the way the, the vampires fight and how you got to kill them. So that it, it's got that going for it. It's got some great gore. And the whole thing is just over the top. So Day Shift, I also think, wow nothing you're going to write home about is is still worth checking out if you have yourself a Netflix subscription. Okay? I know Nick. Nick's a big vampire hunter type of guy, so he and Taylor will be checking mm -hmm. this one out tonight because I, I know Taylor loves <laughs> movies with gory killing and just uh, when they're not very serious about their subject matter. <laughs> so there you go. Those are my my, yeah. my Netflix movie reviews of the week. Uh, Nick and I, we were just talking about The Sandman. I just got into it last night. Uh, pilot's good. I'll see where it goes. I'm not a big Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, Gammon guy. I have no clue. I know he's got a ton of respect in the nerdverse. So I, I, I gave it a 
gave it a chance. We'll, we'll see how it goes. So, my friend, anything from your part of the country you would like to let everyone know about here? Uh, anything I've missed much, that uh, you've you've covered in your pop culture search throughout the week? No, uh, Taylor and I watched Batman and Rob, like Batman and Robin, the old movie, really? and then we like watched nipple suit. Yeah. Yeah, because she hadn't seen, I mean, like, she hasn't seen a lot of stuff, and I can't remember why it popped up, but, like, I like I was just, like, bored one day at home, and I, like, put on Batman Forever, so we had, like, and I stopped kind of, like, in the beginning, so we, like, a couple weeks ago, we watched that one, then we watched Batman and Robin this weekend, and Batman Returns, so just went through some of those movies. Batman Forever is actually better than i remember it being and batman and robin is significantly worse than forever's val kilmer is that the val jim carrey tommy lee or is tommy lee jones yeah Yeah. yes yeah yeah so it's those three that one that one like it is joel schumacher so you still like it's not tim burton anymore the best way that i could describe that one and i think the reason that taylor and i liked it is it's like it's a comic book come to life like it is literally like you could see this, this like the cells from comic yeah. books in like the early '90s and stuff, just like in that movie. Uh, Batman and Robin just like went way over the top. The acting was awful. George Clooney was just as stiff as could be as Batman, so he was pretty terrible. And then, um, yeah, so uh, then we watched Batman for uh, or Batman Returns because uh, it's got Penguin in it, and she's like a big Danny DeVito fan from always sunny so we watched that one uh so what what, like someone like her that had never seen those before what was her initial reaction to those movies did she look at you and say do we have to watch the rest or was she engaged through the full full um runtime so for i told her for batman forever i was like you have to kind of like like get ready because when you watch this it's gonna be like you're gonna think it's like really off the wall which it is um and uh but at like 20 minutes into that she was like okay like i can i can see this happening like i can see what's going on i think this is like a like a pretty like fun little adaptation for batman and robin we were both just like this is fucking awful um but yeah i mean she she didn't like have any any reactions that i wasn't expecting she really liked batman returns like she thought that that was uh, you know, one of the the better Batman movies she's seen. We haven't, we still haven't watched the fucking Robert Pattinson Batman movie. So, has she uh, seen Batman then, like Michael Keaton's first? Like, did you do them all, or did you just stop at Returns? Th- so, we, I was under the impression that we had already watched the first Batman together, but maybe we hadn't because she didn't remember seeing yeah. it. Then again, like she doesn't remember seeing a lot of stuff, so. Um, I don't know. We may go back and watch the original Batman, but I was pretty sure that we already I, seen it. You know what? I, I do uh, like going back and watching movies from the 80s and 90s again, especially because of all the shit I've done to my brain over the years. I mean, half the stuff, like you said, you know, when we watched them, we were kind of watching them with mushy kid brains or mushy yeah. adolescent teen brains. So we probably saw them differently than we would now with our slightly less mushy brains. Yeah. Because I remember being a kid and watching Batman Forever, and I 
or not Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. And I thought it was like, I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. Right. Like, this is pretty cool. And I watched it now and I was like, oh, God, dude, like I'm, what was I I'm getting flashes of like when they're, don't they eventually in one attack sequence, like Mr. Freeze's guys are literally skating around like an ice rink and fighting yeah, Batman and, and, and hockey yeah. sticks and stuff like that. No, they're like, that, that's pretty early on in the movie. And like, that was when we were like, okay, like, like Batman Forever is definitely a bit off the rails, but it's like, it's off the rails in kind of a fun, fun way. Well, I just remember That's that one. We like, I, all right, this movie just fucking. Apparently, sucks. Tommy Lee on that movie wanted to murder Jim Carrey. Like, just fucking hated Jim Carrey's process and like how he would kind of go method with the, with the Riddler and just. I, I, I guess Tommy Lee. There's a famous quote out there. I don't know if it's from Tommy himself or Jim, but let's just say those two, especially from Tommy's did side, not did not. He, he did not like Jim Carrey and how Jim yeah. Carrey they, acted I mean, on set. <laughs> It is not surprising, but they also played together so well. Yeah, like they they played off of each other really well, which was surprising. Yeah, because his his two face, um, like his face is all fucking purple and shit, right? Yeah, it is. It's like it's split down the middle, like purple and stuff like that. So, no, yeah, I mean it definitely was like a little. They really, I mean, if you think bulk. about it, those those Batman movies in the early Fantastic Fours, not even even because I think those were in the two thousands, but those early Batman no, yeah, movies, like they they truly had their own tone for a live action comic book film during that decade you just you're you're never going to get comic book movies like those again and if you do it's going to be a spoof or a parody uh i mean it's almost like what the boys is the boys is is kind of like making fun of those movies like nick said they they're they're almost trying to make them like a comic book they were so over the top and (laughs) you know all that crazy shit versus the the darker and grittier takes you get these days in the comic book realm but yeah. They are they are classics in their what, their like, own right though. Like they are everyone yeah. should watch those four Batman movies. I'm talking about Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and then Batman and Robin cuz they yeah. uh, they should have all been the same Batman, but Keaton after the second one was like, "Fuck this shit. I'm I'm out." Like I, yeah, I think I, he started I, to see the writing on the wall like with how goofy things were getting. Well, I think it was cuz like Tim Burton also decided not to do yeah the third Batman movie. So he was like, well, if Burton's out, then I'm out for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of getting like, like, especially in the Batman realm, we've had so many like ultra serious takes. Like the Nolan ones were fine. I thought that the third one was just like, it's gotten to a point to where it's like, you've, you've even like made a parody of what you're trying yeah, to do. You here know what? I just like- watched his again, uh, literally right before I broke my leg. And you're right. I dude, I, and this is going to sound sacrilegious cause I love Nolan and I love those movies, but I found myself falling asleep during, was it the dark Knight returns? The third one rise. Yeah. Dark Knight. Rises, Rise. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, Okay, it was just it wasn't good. On Bane took over the city, and the cops live in the sewer now, and blah 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 (laughs) blah blue. Yeah. So like, and then like you roll off of that, you have Batman versus Superman, which is just straight up bad. Then like I don't know, it's just like every other iteration like has tried to become more and more serious and dark and all this other bullshit, and I'm like, we've gotten so far away from like. Like even core, like like the old core of like the eighty, like the eighties comic books of Batman were never even that serious. Like, 
I don't know. It's just I, I would like to see like a like a take that is a little bit more like has a little bit of lightheartedness in it. You don't back. even have to put That's it. That's hashtag Nick. I mean, wants you could put the nipple back. suit back on <laughs> if you want to. But yeah, I mean, like I just like I'm kind of burnt out of like the like the super serious Batman shit where it's like the dude like the, like his also like Batman's villains don't necessarily lend themselves to like full seriousness like. And that's the problem is like they keep reusing Batman villains now because like, how are you going to make Poison Ivy a serious villain? Like she is a woman who controls plants and poison. Like, I just don't think that they've like, so what are they doing? They're like, well, let's reuse the Joker a bunch. Let's like, let's put Riddler in a plastic bag mask and like make him not funny anymore either. Like. It just yeah, the yeah, Riddler definitely know. doesn't new, tell any Batman jokes angle. in this new Batman. But I, I I would still suggest watching. I I do like this Batman. I'm not gonna say it's the end all be all, but it, it it's one of the better takes. How's that? It's one of the better takes. Plus Zoe Kravitz is one of the most sexy looking females of this generation of actors and actresses. Like just ridiculous, ridiculous. Taylor wants to watch it. Taylor wants to watch it, and, and I'm like, yeah, I guess we can watch it. Like, I don't care to see it. It's like three plus oh, yeah, hours three, long. Yeah, you're, you're in for three um, hours for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we we did watch the first two episodes of the Gotham TV show, which was pretty. Good I did the whole. Dude, I, I did the whole all of Gotham. It gets a little weird towards the end, but it it's not. It might not be. It might be worth grinding through it if if you guys need kind of a, yeah. a that's forty what I, minute show I, I, a night I to throw on there. Cause that that's where yeah, that's I, I first I met Cal Kestis. Like he has a turn on that as it was never confirmed if he was or wasn't, but he was, but he plays like a, a version of the Joker and it is one of the best portrayals of the character that you're going to see. Um, he's good. I mean, that, that's where I, like I said, that's why I was like, holy shit, this kid is fucking good. And when I found out he was playing Cal, I was like, oh, that's nice. And then we got, milk toast boy and it kind of wasted cameron's talents but no he he's one of the best parts of gotham like i said it, it's one of those i think it was another cw show so that's what you should expect out of it but it they yeah. did allow it to kind of finish itself it wasn't just canceled and nothing gets resolved like it does go from a beginning to an end even if the end was a little strange so i i would i would say that one is is maybe worth putting a little time into. Look, Sir Dork, too, here in the chat. Gotham is super goofy, but he loved it. So, there you go. All right. We think. Talk a little Star Wars. Why not? It is the Star Wars time yeah. show. We tell everyone there's always time for Star Wars time. And even the, the former guy loves Star Wars time, as you can tell by all the ads that we get on the StarWarsTime.net site. If you're on the stream right now, that's like the only ad that shows up. I don't search for Donald Trump stuff at my house, okay? I don't I don't quite know why I get all these ads all the time. Uh, if I could, I would block anything with his name, family name possible. But for some reason, on StarWarsTime.net, it likes Donald Trump ads. Okay. So like we said, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Gotham was Fox. My bad. Didn't, don't want to taint yeah. it with that CW ook. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about Ezra Miller coming out and apologizing finally after <laughs> his summer of fun? Uh, 
Well, it's because WB literally said like we may just not. Well, I, I was going to say because I, I again I don't know like I know you don't fuck around with the internet and socials and pop culture for the most part, so I didn't even know. But yeah, there there was an article where Warner Brothers essentially laid out a three option plan for Ezra and the Flash, and option one is. He's got to come in and perform his mea culpas, which looks like that's the option they took. Because today, he he was he has a big variety article on how he's he's or they or how they is a fuck up. Option two was release the movie, but essentially cut him out of all promotion and just pretend like he was never in it. And then option three was the one I didn't think they were going to do, especially with all the money they already have dumped in, was to just scrap the Flash altogether. So today it does seem like they're pursuing option one until they actually figure out that he his alleged cult is real. Um, but it is funny. Were, were we talking about this last week and how WB has allowed that project and Ezra to kind of simmer, but they they just waxed Batgirl to save like on a on a tax credit in in a heartbeat. It's just it's funny. Um, I think we yeah. did talk about that. So. Hey, we yeah, would have yeah. saw Michael Keaton's Batman again in, in Batgirl and possibly The Flash if it makes it to theaters one day. But uh, it sounds like Ezra is is on his is on the road to pretending to get better so WB doesn't lose two hundred million dollars. How's that? Yeah. Okay. It, it's I mean, really, it's a man's world, dude. It is a man's world. That guy did some ha- alleged heinous shit. One of them literally just got arrested for stealing stuff. And still, they're they're sticking with them. Okay, I don't think they'd do that if that was a female lead. All yeah, right, probably not. So, Andor time, Andor time. Everybody loves them some Andor, and as we found out, it's not even the dude's real name. And no, this is not a spoiler. So. Uh, Variety put this out like a week or two ago. I somehow missed it. My little R2-D2 antenna didn't pop up. We didn't catch it. But we have learned through official channels that Cassian Andor is not his real name. So how's that? I mean, I think it was just last week or two weeks ago, Nick, we were talking about BMO or B2 or BD, whatever the fuck the droid's name is, and how it's the Andor family droid. And we're like, oh yeah, little Cassie was probably playing with it. He's a little kid, and his brother was probably riding on it like it was a rocking horse. And come to find out, it, it, he's not even a, a freaking Andor. So, and that that's yeah. interesting. I think that can that opens up some speculation. It kind of I think it's going to set the tone for episodes one through three, and what we're going to see. But more on that later. That's called a tease, my friends. So, if you're sitting there going, well, well, if Cassian Andor is not his name, well, then what is his real name? Well, as Nick kindly alerted you with spoilers again, this was given in an interview from Fiona Shaw, who is Marva Andor, a real Andor. But uh, anyways, and I guess Bespin Bulletin kind of broke this, but uh, Cassian's real name is either going to be Casa or Casa. <laughs> As in C-Asa or K-Asa. So Casa or Casa. How's that? Look at that. How's that for a fucking reveal? How awesome. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we're at the bottom of the bottom of the barrel here trying to scrape shit out for what would be interesting before the show comes out. 
Is it so? What did they just do? Add an N at the end? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it, it sounds N. like. <laughs> so here's and like I said, and, and maybe we should save the speculation for the actual because somehow the Andor production guide went out last week through Reddit. It's not really a, a link that I think Lucasfilm wants everyone to have access to, but hey, it, it happened. We got our hands on it, and it had official Lucasfilm blessed detailed information on on Marva Andor Cassian. Uh, some of these other characters we're going to talk about. So maybe we'll save that for, for then. But yeah, so the fact that Cassian is adopted, I think is is going to play into, obviously, his hatred of the Empire. Because you have to figure, the reason he gets adopted is because his, his proper family, along with his planet, gets wiped out when he's a kid. And he ends up, I think, on this Ferrix planet, ultimately being adopted by Fiona Shaw's Marva Andor who we've seen in the trailer. She kind of lives in that. It looks like a gutted out old um, starship of some sort. And it seems that's where we're going to pick the series up. And that's where we're going to pick up Cassa as Cassian Andor, the adoptive son of Marva. So yeah, there, there's that. But like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into speculations during the segment when we go into the official product guide and all that stuff. Uh, we did also get some images. Hey, look who it is. It's the first grader here. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to get in camera. You got there. You go. First grade now. New haircut. Short hair. She's all grown up. Right. Look at that. Too too big for daddy these days, huh? And now <laughs> finally six years old. Yeah. Well, you've been six for a while. Finally. But, but now you're you're in grade school. No longer a kindergartner. Good day. Yeah. All right. Just about to clean the cats. Oh, great. They'll love to hear that. Okay, good <laughs> to see you. Glad you're back. Nice nice to see you. See what I mean? Do you see the difference, <laughs> Louie? One, one week in. Do you remember when she used to come down here? Oh, hey, yeah, Dad. Love yeah. you. May the force be with you. Now it's like, leave me alone. Quit talking. You're embarrassing I me. I have school friends yeah, now. Yeah, I've got something to do. Uh, it's killing me right now. It's killing me, Smalls. I'm telling you, like it. <sighs> without you know going too much into to personal life, I, I can tell you these past two weeks, as my leg has gotten uh, better, I think some of my built-in uh, mechanisms for dealing with the summer of death are lifting, and my mind is now being able to kind of reflect on the time that I missed with her over the summer, and it sucks because it's like. She's only six once. She's only six during the summer once, and I missed that. Like, nine weeks of it gone, not that I could really even do anything now. I mean, I'm still dual crutching, like, hey, wait for me. I can only go a mile an hour. But, yeah, it's, it, it blows. And the fact that we only have one, it's like every day is is precious to this old, sappy, bearded fool at this point in time. So, I'm going <laughs> to stop talking about this stuff so I don't tear up. So, let's get back to our Andor because Nick found us some images that we can check out, see some of these characters that might be friends with Casa or Casa, as they say on Ferrix. Uh, up first is someone we're going to learn about a little bit in our next segment, or our next few segments. And this is Bix Kayleen, who is played by Adria Arjana, someone you have seen in other movies, a lovely looking young lady. Uh, but just to give you a, a little bit on Bix, let's just say Bix and Casa 
they may have gotten around the bases a few times as little kids. All right, we'll we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, they're they're definitely close. Bix is someone I'm speculating we're going to meet early on, and she's going to be someone that is clearly important to Cassian in the early goings of Andor. Then we got Cassian himself, a boy in the hood, as SFX captions here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you think here, Nick? He's, uh, could this be one of the missions we write about? Is this that first mission that the rebels send them on? Or is this him just chilling on Ferrix in episodes one through three as we get to learn who Cassian is and, and, and why he may end up doing what he does? Yeah, I think this is probably him on a mission. I mean, it doesn't look like this is just him chilling on his, you know, newfound home planet of Ferrix. He's got like a bruise on his cheek. You oh, yeah, see I didn't that see that. He definitely looks like he got punched once or twice. Yeah. He got beat up a little bit, um, maybe using this as a disguise because you can kind of see like his like a almost like a normal kind of like jumpsuit. You can see like a utility belt under it. So maybe he's like trying to just like quickly disguise himself while he goes undercover somewhere. So, yeah, this is probably uh, on one of his uh, rebellion missions. I, I want to get one. This thing looks pretty comfortable. Whatever he's wearing here, this, this throw over with a hoodie. Poncho. It's like a, yeah, like a hoodie poncho, or I guess that is a poncho, right? <laughs> a poncho. Yeah. That's <laughs> <for the> poncho. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hoodie's a hoodie and a poncho is a poncho. There is no such thing as a hoodie poncho unless you are on the Star Wars time show. Uh, well, we don't really need the. We know who this is. There's Genevieve. We got some more to talk about her. I'm telling you, I for me, once we get to this character segment, I, I think Mon Mothma and this Luthan character are going to be presenting some of the more interesting bits of the story for me because they're going to be dealing with kind of the 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 cream of the crop. The, the, the top of the food chain type of people that are living in the galaxy at this point in time that you may not think care about a rebellion. And I like that angle, you know, like like the, the ultra rich and the well to do caring more about poor people. I like that. So uh, like I, I've said this for a while and, and here in our next shot. These two right here, Stalin, Skarsgård, Luthen, I'm telling you right now, is is going to be a major, major player in Andor because, as we're going to learn here, hey, look, he's got some Mando armor in the back. Did you see that? I just noticed that now. In the very back yeah, corner like of that of that image, that's that's pure Beskar right there. Uh, but this this Luthen character, Nick, let's just say he is he he should go down. And there should be statues of him in the New Republic as one of the greatest recruiters for the rebellion of all time. I'll leave it at that for now. That's another tease for everyone that we want to listen to the rest of the show. Here's another guy we're going to learn about soon. This, his name in the show is Cyril Karn, played by Kyle Soler. And he works for like a, a local security bureau that I believe... Cassian's going to kind of go against, maybe get himself in trouble and, and make this guy look like a dipshit. One of those, you know, we, we've seen that narrative before, right? Like the the cool guy, the main character, and then like this this kind of cop or someone of a, a lower level security force is in the same town. They know each other. They don't like each other. And the, and the, and the, and the cop, the authority figure, has a chip on his shoulder for the, the rebel type of figure. So... That's what I'm thinking here for our boy, 
Cyril Karn. Good Star Wars name, by the way. Cyril Karn. I like it. Uh, and yeah. then really the next are just uh, Cassian. So we, we've seen Diego's lovely face a few times here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you can see the last picture is probably in the same area. Like, like he always, unless he just always has that mark on the right side of his face under his eye. Cause like in this, in all three of the pictures that include him, he always has some sort of like bruise or scrape or something in that that exact same spot. So yeah, he, he's not Maybe he's not living a people got he's not living an easy life. Easy. There's no doubt about it. But and I think that's the point. I mean, Cassian is essentially essentially the he's like the microchasm of what's happening to a majority of these denizens of the galaxy. So through Cassian's journey in Andor, we're going to get to see exactly what life has been like for people like him that have either been displaced because of the Empire and, and blown up planets or taken over planets for resources and, and just how downtrodden a majority of the galaxy is versus what the Empire may be showing on the surface of shots of Coruscant and and the, you know, better off planets and better off sectors and, and cities and towns that have kind of acquiesced to the empire's rule and have allowed its corrupt local politicians and, and governors and whatnot to profit at the expense of the masses. So, uh, someone in here, Dr. Awesome, welcome, uh, he's saying they're very interested as a more mature Star Wars show. I, 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 I think that is a very true statement, and it kind of leads into our next topic. And if you're going to have this more gritty, detailed show, it's going to be big. Its scope is going to be massive. Its scale is going to be gigantic. And that's exactly what Tony Gilroy explained in an interview about Andor is just how freaking huge it is. And we're just talking about season one. We know season one is only going to cover a year's time. But just in season one, Tony Gilroy is promising, and this was confirmed in that production guide, that Andor is going to have over 190 speaking parts, okay? A speaking part, Nick, I think you you probably understand, is more than just someone in the background with, you know, chatter at a bar. A speaking part is literally, they had to block a scene, get you in camera, you talk, and your your words mean something to the story. You know what I mean? It's, it's not just a, hello, or hello there, or fire. You, you are actually contributing to the story. Even if you're a character that gets shot in the next panel you're 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 still contributing through a speaking part and just trying to think about a hundred so that that's a hundred and ninety plus unique characters that are going to say something in the first season of andor and if you sit there and you think about let's just say the first season of the mandalorian i mean nick just off the top of your head if you scan through some of the episodes, how many speaking parts do you think the Mandalorian season one had? I have no fucking clue. 50? I don't know. It, <laughs> 60, that, that, I came up with 50 for both seasons and the book of Boba Fett, if you really think about it. Because really, who, who are the main people speaking? Din, Grief, 
Cara Dune. Uh, fuck, what's her name? Amy Sedaris. Pally Moto. Pally, yeah. Uh, Cobb Vanth. I guess the... We don't need to go the, through the all Tuskins, of them, but yeah, there, there's not as not many a lot. as So yeah, I, I wasn't going to sit here and do it all. Nick would, Nick would just, <laughs> literally, he'd be like, damn, I wish my... The, I don't think this means anything. I'm gonna be honest with you. Why not? Um, because it's just like, like to me, this is like Gilroy saying, "Look how cool I am! I could put 190 different speaking parts in this." When realistically, it's not about how many speaking parts you have; it's about the quality of what the people All right, are saying. Well, let, let's and like, let Tony talk. Maybe, maybe, we'll maybe see, I went too long we'll trying to set this one up, stuff. and you were like, "All right, next, <laughs> next, shut up, dummy." No, what he is saying, it, 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 it's setting the scale of the, of the universe of Andor. When you have 190 speaking parts, that's a lot of characters that are going to be featured in 12 episodes. There probably haven't been 190 speaking parts in the nine Skywalker films. Think about it. There probably haven't been 190 speaking parts in the fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe, so, which is why I'm so saying there. I don't know if this means anything. Well, like, it's a it's a number. Right. But he's, he's trying to know, he's like, trying to tell us Nick how big Andor is and it's going to be big through all the characters fans are going to meet that are talking to them okay so here's what he says we're dealing with I don't know 190 speaking parts in the first 12 episodes and you're carrying over 25 to 30 characters that we care about from the first half to the second half so what he's saying is out of these 190 speaking parts a majority of them aren't going to be main characters that fans are going to care about. But 25 to 30 of them are. So that is still a large cast of characters to be moving from season one to season two. So while Nick thinks this is stupid, and he may not be wrong, I do think there is a point to how large Andor is going to be. And it, it, it very well could be one of the biggest Star Wars projects in terms of the size of the story being told and the amount of characters that we've ever seen. So, um, and here, th this kind of pays off on what Nick predicted last week about the three-episode premiere. He goes on to say, the first three episodes are pretty contained in our show. It's pretty much about this one place in this one couple of days. And then when episode four starts, we just start adding characters and the world just gets really, really wide. So like we said last week, I think Nick was the one when, we, you know, Diego's like, yeah, you know, episodes one through three, it's, it's a self-contained story. I'm like, well, you know, there's no self-contained Star Wars anything. But Nick's like, I think he's talking about episodes one through three. And that's what Gilroy is confirming here. Essentially, it's now sounding, Nick, that episodes one through three of Andor season one are all going to be set on Ferrix, introducing Cassian, his adoptive family, his other friends some of the antagonists he's been dealing with in his life, and he'll probably do something big and dumb that really gets the party started towards the end and gets him mixed up with the greater galaxy and the ISB and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. The, the fourth episode is where the show is going to turn into the show. Like, the first three is going to be like almost like a little prequel movie yeah, that, that's you could probably look at it that way episode four, four is when you're going to get 150 of the speaking parts you're going to get 40 of the speaking parts in episodes one two and three 
So you're going to meet 40 characters in three episodes, and then you'll get 150 characters over the remaining nine. So I don't know. I, I think it that's that's impressive, and it very well could be people just saying, "Hey, Cassian," and 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 Tony checked that on his production sheet as a speaking part, so he could talk about it to try and impress rubes like me. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it sounded like Andor is going to be bigger than anything we have ever seen in Star Wars in terms of its overall cast of characters. Uh, in the same interview, Gilroy went on to kind of d- discuss how he approaches Star Wars canon. There, there's some good ones in here. Uh, Mon Mothman, then just how the, the, the seeds of the revolution we will see. And, and here's his, his comment on canon. Within Star Wars, within Wikipedia, there's got to be four or five levels of canon. There's film canon, cartoon canon, fan fiction canon, and all these different things. And for the larger issues we deal with, Star Wars Lore Advisor, yes, that's his official job title, like he's pissed. I just love this guy. Pablo Hidalgo. So let me summarize this for everyone. Tony's saying, I made up my own fucking canon. I don't give a fuck about anything else. And yes, I had to go talk to this little fatso named Pablo about a few things. But go take your cannon and shove it up your ass. I'm Tony Gilroy. Mic drop. It's kind of what I said in the beginning. Is It's like, this is a lot of Tony Gilroy talking about himself and how <laughs> cool fil- he is. What do you mean by film <laughs> cannon and cartoon cannon? They're, they're the same thing. It's like, dude, it's all the same. It's like Fan fiction is fan, fan fiction. fiction. Canon doesn't even... <laughs> Fan fiction canon is an oxymoron that if it's fan fiction, it's not canon. Like, so this is literally like Tony sitting down because somebody put a microphone in his face and he's just saying like, (laughs) look at all the stuff that I had to deal with. Look how many parts I put in. Look at all the different types of crap that I had to deal with. And then I had to work with this guy, Pablo Hidalgo. How do you think those conversations? That's what I want to see. I want to see Tony having the ring up Pablo Hidalgo. And ask him a blessing on like a canon note because you know that had to kill I, I feel him. Like it's you like, know that had to kill him. It's like talking to a high school kid who thinks he knows everything. Yeah. Where it's just like, yes, Tony. Yeah. yeah, Tony. Right. Sure, Tony. Yeah, you can do that. Go ahead. All right. No, Have fun. Tony, you you can't make Cassian a Sith and a Jedi at the same time. It's already been established that one can't be both, and we already yeah. know he doesn't have the Force, so that doesn't work. No, you can't give the Death Star wings. It's already been established. It's just a big gray ball. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like his disgust for Star Wars is, is always funny when you juxtapose it to his clear love of Andor. It's like it's almost like he thinks Andor yeah. is not Star Wars and Star Wars is not Andor. It like, well, it's different because I <laughs> because I did it. Or like because I, you know, because I'm doing it, this is different than all the regular yeah. stupid Star Wars. See what happened when you let that other idiot, what's his name, uh, Gareth Edwards, try to do something with Cassian? Terrible. Terrible, I tell yeah. you, until I came in and fixed the whole damn project. I'm Tony Gilroy, god damn it. Like, I think this show will be good. Like, I really do think that it's got the potential to be one of the best. But it's just like, this guy <laughs> is just so conceited that it's hard to look past it when you read stuff like this because it's just ta- it's like him talking about all the stuff that he did. Oh yeah. And that's the only way that he can put it. I <laughs> like, to me this guy uh, is a dream guest for the Star Wars time show cuz the whole time he would just tell us how big of losers we are and how bad we suck 
and and how we're wasting our life by even talking about Star Wars and his Andor project. Like he'd just be like, he'd just look at us the whole time disgusted. Like you you freaks. Like what are you doing with your lives? I'm Tony Gilroy. Okay. Well, speaking of Gilroy, we got a few more nuggets from him because he he truly is our guy. Like you know, we we pick on him, but we do love him here at the SWTS. So uh, a little more on Mon Mothma. Our goal is to have as many varieties as you possibly can, and Mon Mothma has her own rebellion. See, this is the stuff I'm talking about. People will find out a lot more about that as the show goes on because there's some really interesting things that we're going to say about her. It's not that we're reversing canon or anything. Pablo, we're just going to tell you that, wow, you had no idea what some people were really about. And maybe you don't, and maybe you don't understand why she's doing it. So what, what do you think he's trying to say about Ma Mothma? Is he like some fucking ninja? She like, you know, she's like a, an alias. She's going to strap on a, a costume and infiltrate Palpatine's office or something. I think that what he's basically I think what he's saying here is that like we've always looked at Mon Mothma as like this like this very altruistic person who's only doing what she's doing because it's the right thing to do. Like that's how we've always seen her. Like she's the leader of the the rebellion because this is the right thing to do. The empire's bad, she knows they're bad. And we're going to do, you know, she wants to be the rebellion person because it's the right thing to do. I think what Gilroy is saying is like Mon Mothma has her own motivations that aren't just like, this is the right thing to do. Like, she has reasons for doing things with the rebellion or setting up the rebellion in certain ways and stuff like that. And it may not always be just because, like, Empire is bad. Yeah. Rebellion, we have to fight. Like, I think it's just like uh, you'll find out what her like actual personal motivation yeah, is behind all of her decisions. I agree. It's it's interesting. It says we're not reversing canon or anything. That that's the line that I don't, there's not a lot I of know, canon so around like, her. But I think you set it so, up <laughs> perfectly. I mean, she is almost like a a Christ like figure in Star Wars. You know, the first time we meet her in Return yeah. of the Jedi, she's literally in just white robes, looks like a fucking yeah. Catholic priest. You know, I'm waiting for her to, you know, do all the, the himenas and hominas, you know, in the, in the body of Christ, in the blood of Christ, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's almost like, what is, what would her motivation be then? I mean, to me, I, I would think it would have to either revolve around the planet she serves, which I think is Chandrilla, or some familial something like a, like a like something's happening to the to the family but it, is that enough to start a galactic rebellion i don't know uh, but that that is interesting and i've said this day one mon mothma to me is more intriguing than cassian at this point like i as a longtime star wars fan from the 80s i want to know more about what what kind of got her moving why why she yeah. took the risk she decided to take and why she ultimately became the face of the, the rebel alliance when you had people like Saul, Hera, uh, you had all these other leaders and some of them were senators, some of them were former fighters, but none of them seemed to kind of take the mantle outside of, of Mon. I guess that's what you'd call her if you're friends, right? Like, hey, hey, Mon, what's up? Yeah. Like, what do you call Mon Mothma? <laughs> what up, Mon? Um, yeah. So yeah, I I, I think uh, and and this Cassian just like he's a very at least from what we've seen so Cassian's a pretty one dimensional character like 
Cassian's the the character that's like my home world got blown up. I'm angry, and I want to find and hurt the people who did it. Yeah. Whereas Mon Mothma has like a lot of different layers to her, and like potentially through the show, maybe it'll come out that like Cassian has more layers than just the you know the the vengeance seeking part of it, which is why he joined the rebellion. But Mon Mothma is a character that we never. We didn't know if she had layers. We didn't know if she had a reason behind doing anything. We just knew her as like this benevolent force. So yeah, I, I would agree with you that that Mon Mothma's character development is probably more interesting than the character development that we'll see from Yeah, and, and I do think she's going to be getting into various elements of, of spycraft through this Luthan character we're going to talk about here in the next topic. And maybe that's what Gilroy's talking about. Like, she isn't just a politician. She she also got mixed up in the, the darker sides of the rebellion, doing the spy stuff, maybe maybe even setting up targets to be assassinated. I mean, that, that's a cold fucking job to have. Empire or not, like, yeah, th- this person needs to die. This person needs to die. This person needs to die. So we can accomplish our overall objectives. Uh, Gilroy also talked about a, another interesting aspect of the show for me, and that is going to be just kind of seeing the different pockets of the Rebel Alliance. So far, we've really only seen this in Star Wars Rebels, and we saw a, a slight bit of it in Rogue One, but th- this was already when the Rebel Alliance was mostly formed and Saul was still kind of he was just the outcast at this point in time like they had already said listen dude we can't tolerate your tactics you are not a part of the rebel alliance so uh, it was really star wars rebels is the only star wars franchise to date that has covered the pockets of rebellion versus just hey we're all here on yavin getting ready to attack the death star so gilroy says i get this five-year period to deal with And it's a pretty kinetic moment in history with the Empire taking over. But you also have these spores of revolution all over the galaxy. Nobody knows each other. There's different factions. And it's all going to coalesce awkwardly and clumsily at Yavin. So, Nick, it does sound like in probably not in 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 a full frontal attack but in some form or fashion we are ultimately over two seasons of andor going to see the buildup of forces around the rebel banner at the masasi temple on yavin yeah i mean uh, i mean saul's a given mon's a given yeah are there any other factions you think that fans may have seen in other series that might get a little nod in Andor? I mean, do they do they touch on the rebels at all? I mean, you would you think Hare is doing something I mean, at Phoenix this point. Phoenix Squadron, in time. but like, I don't, Phoenix Squadron hasn't been like coalesced yet at this point, has it? Especially early in in Andor. No, but it, it plays not- in it plays into what he's saying though, because I, I believe Rebels itself still started around the same time Andor season one is going to be taking place. Uh, I think Rebels yeah. is at least so, five I mean, to four to five years before Yavin, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, maybe you will. Maybe there'll be some other banners out there that we haven't seen. I'm hoping that like just get to just get name drops. Like even up. if he just says, that, "Hey, we we've, we've been hearing about this ghost crew," and they linked up with Phoenix Squadron. Because yeah. you got to remember, 
Ghost Crew was not Phoenix Squadron. They met up with Phoenix Squadron and then became a part of Phoenix Squadron. I, I forget the... Yeah. He was an Asian captain. I forget his name. He ends up sacrificing himself. But either way, I doubt someone like Gilroy would go that fan-centric and actually introduce the Rebels, even though they've technically been introduced in Rogue One. You know, you heard... You saw Chopper, and I believe they said something about General Sindula. I don't know. Either way, they were they were featured there. But do, do you think Gilroy could be convinced to have a fan service moment like this by having a, a quick intro of live action hair, or is Dave saving that for Ahsoka? I feel like they could. I feel like he would do that. Like just a little moment. You know, it's not going to be as big as something in. Uh, you know, in Ahsoka or anything like that, but I feel like just having them mentioned it would make sense. Or, you know, putting their putting their banner, maybe introducing or not even really introducing, but like mentioning their name, like the name of the that, ghost. That, that's crew what I mean. Or, like even if there's even if it's just like I don't think that Hera is gonna be Okay. In it. Yeah. Even if it's just a a reference that that I think that would be enough for most people. I, I, I don't think Tony to me is not a guy that even if Lucasfilm said, Hey, you got to like introduce these people. I, I think he would say, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. I don't think he would do it. He, he would not do it. For but sure. I think they could convince <laughs> him to be like, Hey, you know, we've been hearing about this group on Lothal, something like that. Like even something like that is enough of a tip of the hat for me. I'd be like, all right, cool. Yep. That is a yeah. that is a spore of the revolution that we we know a lot about the 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 squadron over there on Lothal. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of there we go yeah so uh, June Sato was the commander of Phoenix Squadron and then uh, the Ghost Crew which would have been our Rebels cast they ended up and joined Phoenix Squadron I think end of season one or at least by season two all right. So maybe that, honestly, getting Commander June Soto, Sato in there, that would be a nice touch because... That would make sense. You know, not a prominent Star Wars Rebels character, but a big enough Rebels character that fans of that series would be like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He He's a hero that sacrificed himself, I think, in a fight against Thrawn's forces towards the end. So, yeah, it's, it's the Mon Mothmas, and it's these little spores. It's not so much Cassian. Like, I honestly... My focus for this series, at least at this point in time, is not even remotely close to being on Cassian yet. It's all everything else. It's the galaxy. It's yeah. the Mons. It's the Luthans, and uh, the 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 rebels. Really. Yeah, I think for the first season, it's going to be kind of widespread because at the I mean, it seems like during the first season, Cassian's just still kind of a nobody, you know, like he he just kind of gets started. And then maybe with season two, once he works his way up into the like the higher ranks within the rebellion, then he'll like I don't want to say he'll come more into focus because obviously he's going to be in focus for a majority of of it all. But like you're not going to have the same level of like focus on the other factions in season two as you will have in season yeah you're probably right so much going it probably on. will get a little more tighter on cassian because you and i we, we've already pitched that they're probably one of the one of the years covered in season two which we know is going to be a three episode run could very well be the cassian and k2 story 
and that would be like yeah. you're saying a much more tight narrative it, it, it yes it's still going to be set in this broad conflict but i think you're right i think season two could open things up especially knowing that three episodes covers a year you, you could get slightly more targeted character stories versus what season one is sounding like with its 190 plus speaking parts and all these different uh, factions across the galaxy trying to get linked up. So I don't think you're wrong thinking things get a little more laser focused in in season two, because as Gilroy has promised, the end of season two, episode 12 will literally drop us right at that moment we see Cassian on that planet meeting his contact and then ceremoniously killing him because some stormtroopers were around the corner. Okay, one last little quote here, and this one actually comes from Genevieve O'Reilly, who plays Mon Mothma, and she talks about kind of the uh, perils her character is going to face in that political arena. So when we meet Mon Mothma in Coruscant, it's a high society world of intrigue and political machinations. She is trying to be a voice for diplomacy and a voice for action and trying to gather allies against this ever looming autocracy. At the moment, the emperor has all the numbers and she is a very lonely voice. In order to change, she has to put her head above the parapet, which is highly dangerous, and I think that's what allows for the thriller element that runs through this season. So, what what she's saying here in one too many words is that Mon Mothma is going to have to put her neck on the line for a position, for for a person at at her position. She's going to be doing stuff that you typically would not expect a senator of her regard and ilk to be doing. And I think, Nick, that that's yeah. dealing with the underground, dealing with spies, maybe dealing with hitmen, dealing with uh, scoundrels, smugglers, uh, people that can get intel for her. Uh, and it is like if you juxtapose what we know of Mon Mothma, how she looks, she's always in these angelic costumes, almost always dressed in all white with that lovely red hair. It, it is going to be a different look a different vibe to see her, you know, kind of getting, getting down and dirty a little bit, maybe getting a little more on the, uh, dealing with some more of the nefarious side of, of star Wars and, and it's planets and it's characters and it's aliens. Yeah. And when you're building a rebellion, you kind of got to, there's no other choice. You, you don't get to build a rebellion with just a bunch of nice dudes, right? You got to, you got to dig into the muck. So it'll be interesting. And it'll also be interesting to see if they have scenes where, you know, some of the Imperial officers start to like bring attention to what she's doing and see how she handles yeah. that because there's no way that she can get away or that she can like do all of this without being recognized at all or without being you know, having eyes kind of float towards her to see what she's up to. Right. Because uh, so that'll be, I mean, hearing. technically at this point in time, a Senator is still a very powerful position in the galaxy. It's like what you get one Senator per planet and, and you're essentially that planet's full rep full in the, in the galaxy. I mean, you, you're, you're technically higher ranking than even the planet King or queen. You know what I mean? Like I, I would argue uh, Amidala had more power as a senator versus the Queen of Naboo. 
You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, because you don't really like as the queen of a planet, you don't really have that much say in the greater. Right. I mean, look, look what happened to her planet of, it, of the galaxy. It got attacked and yeah. she could do nothing without the blessing of the Senate. Yeah. So, yeah. So the senator, the Senate is actually like the movers and shakers, whereas like the the queen is kind of like a like a governor of a state. Right. Like, yeah, he th- there's stuff that you can do for your state. But like, ultimately, you're not going to be able to affect broader change on the galaxy as just the queen of, right. a, but, of an individual. But back to my planet. my original point, like if, if we're going through the galactic pecking order at this time, it's essentially Palpatine, Vader, senators and everyone else. Would you agree? I would say on paper. Now, yeah, in terms right, of right. what actually happens, we know it's Palpatine and, and Palpatine and Palpatine. But like yeah. it, you know, they they still have an org chart, right? Nick, he hasn't dissolved the Senate yet. So on the org yeah, chart, it's, not yet. It's Palpatine. Vader reports to Palpatine on the side, and then directly under Palpatine is the Senate, and then under maybe the like the. I wonder how much influence the Moffs have at this point. I'm gonna say I know that the Moffs are out there even now. I'm gonna say. They probably have a lot, but on paper, they still don't. You know what I mean? Because uh, Tarkin says a yeah. very specific line, like, listen, the emperor has dis- dissolved the Senate and has uh, essentially tossed the power to the regional governors, which were the Moffs at yeah. that time. So until A New Hope, though, the senators technically, again, we know behind the scenes, Palpatine yeah. and, and his governors and in, in, in the empire, at least the Imperial Navy, they're doing everything. They're in control. But to the galaxy at large, they're still pretending that the Senate is is running things. So, um, yeah, she is. She would still yield a lot of power, even if it is paper power at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. See, it seems like she has a lot of power. I wonder how those Senate meetings go. I wonder if we ever get to see like a full Senate meeting where they're like, they actually vote on something, bro. I would. But it never actually I would goes into sign action. me up for it. I, I've said it here before. I mean, I I'm not kidding. I am most excited for Andor's political shit more than anything. Like I, uh, we've we've seen the the you know the common man fighting against the Empire and fighting stormtroopers and clone troopers, all this shit. We we really have not seen the inner workings of Coruscant politics outside of a fucking trade federation dispute. And, and granting emergency powers, and then uh, Empire Day, declaring himself uh, the emperor. Like, I, I know this sounds boring, but I sign me up for like a C-SPAN version of the Galactic Senate in one of its sessions. I would watch 40 minutes of that. You know, the ET delegation uh, doing a nay on Mon Mothma's resolution for their planet, something like that. Like, I, I would I would legitimately be intrigued by watching Star Wars politics play out as if we were watching a session of Congress on C-SPAN. Because I, I, I think their Senate, <laughs> at least from what we saw during the prequel era, is more exciting than what we see on TV with our, our Senate and our you know, uh, in, in the house. So I, I'm with you, man. Si- yeah, sign me up. And it does look like we are going to get some scenes in the Senate. And I am most looking forward to those than any of the action scenes. Like I want to see what were they doing? Are there some centers in there literally on their smartphones the whole time? Cause they know it's a big fucking sham is, is does Palpatine even show up or at, at this point, is it just Masamita sitting there in the center pretending to run the Senate? You know, what, what, what is happening here? 
Is the fucking trade federation around? You know, where are the Nemoidians? Is there a, a a statue of Newt Gunray in the Nemoidians Senate booth? Do they even get a spot anymore? I think the trade. Yeah, I don't know. The trade federation and all the Nemoidians that were like associated with it may have just been completely wiped out. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't yeah, know. I guess I mean, we'll, maybe we'll see. That that is a good question because we don't really see Nemoidians beyond the prequel era, but we also know that Palpatine's a little bit of a racist fuck and uh, doesn't like aliens, so that that could be a reason as well. I mean, that that's probably the reason he chose them to be the ultimate fall race. If you think about it, Sheev at some point in time during his master plan, he was like, "I got to pick a race of aliens that's essentially going to take the fall for." Uh, the Clone Wars and getting the, and I'm also going to use them to get me into the Supreme Chancellor seat. Do you think it was like a eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or do you just look at them and be like, you know what? I don't like aliens. I don't like the way they look and they're greedy bastards. Let's go with the Nemoidians. <laughs> so <laughs> I think maybe so. Maybe it was just those big ass because you're right. Had. I mean, they it's almost like the, the, the whole race, he, he wiped them the out. whole rice gets the whole race gets wiped out. I mean, I know we only see Anakin take out Newt on, on Mustafar and some of his his loyal uh advisors, but they, they just kind of disappear along with a lot of the alien factions that the Republic was was kind of dealing with. I mean, I know that like they you know, Hayden, not Hayden. Uh, Vader goes to Mustafar to wipe out all the rest of the Separatist leaders. He kills a couple and like Nimbordians there. So I don't know. Maybe like he maybe like the Trade Federation is just completely out of it now. Like they like they've been destroyed. Well, yeah, you, or would they've think, been dissolved you would think in an empire like that. that that federations and techno guilds and techno unions and banking clans don't exist anymore because it's a it's an empire. Yeah. So you're probably right. Uh, I, I don't know if he, you know, nuked the, uh, you know, committed genocide on the Nemoidians, but I think you might be on to something. He just came in and fucking, you're like, you know what? We can make that money. You're out. Banking clan. We yeah. can do that. You're out. Techno union. We can do that now. You're out. And that that's probably more than likely what happened. Yeah. All right. So hopefully you're not bored with Andor because we've got more for you. And this time it is all official. Not that that stuff wasn't, but this stuff literally comes from the production brief for Andor. We've got it linked on StarWarsTime.net if you want to read the whole thing for yourself. It is a massive document. Luckily, you have idiots like me that have time to go through, uh, excuse me, and pull out the good stuff for you. So I, I just kind of went through this brief, Nick, and and grab some of the more interesting anecdotes on the characters that we will be running to in season one, such as Bix Kayleen, Cassa, Cassian, Marva, Cyril, uh, Deidre. All right, so let's kind of figure out who some of these people are. Cassian, we know where this guy's at. Uh, I, I think Gilroy kind of sets us up for the casting. We're going to meet S1E1 right here. He says he's sort of an adoptive son of a family that saved his life. So there you go. Again, no spoilers. This is all official before the show came out. Tony is telling it to you. And if Tony says it, it's true. And he's grown up on this planet, Ferrix, in a really strong community. And he is kind of the guy that nobody wants to see right now. He owes money to everybody. His mom's on mm -hmm. his case all the time, and he's certainly not lived up to his potential. 
He makes a situation infinitely worse in the opening scenes of the show. He's become a fugitive. He's had the worst day of his life when we start the show. We're going to spend 24 episodes exploring his odyssey to become the person who gives his life for the galaxy. So maybe those shots that we saw of Cassian earlier were him on his home just, planet yeah. and he just got the shit beat out of him because he's a bum who doesn't pay. His yeah, debt. he's like a I mean, he's a he's a near do well. He, he's kind of like a young Han Solo. Let's be real. Right. He's yeah. kind of like the Han well, we meet in the solo movie where he's he's he works for shady people and he does shady shit working for shady people that in turn yeah. gets him beat up. So, yeah, yeah. Um. But it's just a few things that, you know, we, we've got confirmed here. He is adopted, all right? He is going to be on Ferrix, and it's looking like during the first three episodes, or maybe even by episode one, he's getting himself mixed up in some serious trouble on Ferrix, probably with their local security and this serial character I've been talking about. I think that's where their beef's going to come from, and then that beef is going to extend beyond Ferrix and beyond just whatever little... Um, trouble Cassian gets himself on that planet uh, so like Kenobi in Kenobi series we're, we're going to meet a a clay version of Cassian early on he, he's going to have to have some experiences and live some life uh, to get molded into the hero Cassian we, we meet by the end of Rogue One which you know that's what Tony's been telling us all along all right, up next, Marva Andor, played by Fiona Shaw. This is confirmed Cassian's adoptive mother, so that, that B2 droid belonged to her and her family, but that's also why it's uh, you know attached to Cassian, because this is who he shacks up with after his planet gets destroyed as a kid. So, Marva is a new character created for the series. All right, she's played by Fiona Shaw, uh, Harry Potter, right? I think that's where... Some people may recognize yeah. her. Marva has gone from being a prosperous businesswoman in this town to being still respected, but she's aging. Her son is confusing and a disappointment, a.k.a. Cassian. It's something that she worries about constantly. He's had so many troubles, and when our show starts, he's really in deep trouble. So, Nick, maybe it's like literally episode one. He's already in the thick of it and by the by the end of episode three he gets into like galactic wide uh problems yeah. and, and kind of has to get away from ferrix do you th yeah maybe his mom just straight up like fucking tells him to leave like i can't do anything okay. else for you he's like you have to go find your own you way knew where i was going then so do you think he leaves because he's forced to leave or do you think he leaves because something awful happens to people he loves on ferrix such as Marva mm. getting taken out by uh, the Empire. Yeah, that would be an interesting turn. I don't know where Ferrix sits in the galaxy in terms of like its allegiances it or anything like that. It looks pretty poor and more of a planet you'd probably have seeds yeah. of a rebellion, for sure. Yeah, so maybe so. Um, but I could also see Marva getting to the point to where she's just like, Look, I adopted you with the best of intentions when you were a kid, but like you've gotten to the point where not only have you ruined your own life, but you're starting to ruin my <laughs> life too. So you need to get the fuck out of here. Um, it would be like, I mean, I, I guess it would give more fuel to Cassian if like not only were his real parents killed by the Empire, but also his adopted parents were. Um, 
But I don't know. I think it would be more interesting if it was just like he either decides to leave on his own because he's fucked up his own reputation so bad that he can't stay there anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I could I could definitely see it going. Both you know, of those I, ways. I really love that angle um, because you're right. I mean, if and sadly, it, it probably is more than likely something bad is going to happen on Ferrix that is going to. He may be a part of the bad, in fact, that causes him to leave. Yeah. And the bad may also take out people he loves, which is a tried and true trope in all of Star Wars and really in any type of storytelling. So I'm not I'm not harping on Star Wars for using it. But I do like Nick's take because it, it, it is like sometimes just disappointing a parental figure makes you feel worse than you know, something physically awful happening to them. You know, I, I can remember moments yeah. as a kid where I was just a fucking snot bag douche to my mom, like just said fucking horrible stuff. And, you know, as, as a parent now, you under you, you understand how bad that type of shit behavior was. It was just awful, like scumbag human shit. But a lot of times that can be more motivational for someone than just a, a loss. I mean, loss is huge. It affects everyone. But sometimes disappointment in the eyes of the people that love you and raise you can be more motivating than just yes. losing someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even more painful for sure. So, so I like that. I, I, I think it, it might. Be, yeah. I think you're on to something where it's just like, you know, you've been such a fuck up because you got to think. He already has a, he he has to have a hard on for the empire. I mean, he's an adoptive son for a reason. He he's not just adopted because his parents didn't want him or shit like that. It, the empire has already taken everything from him. So you would think he already has an axe to grind. So watching his adoptive mother get killed at the hands of the empire is that really going to be that much more motivating force? So yeah, like, I I'm, I'm liking Nick's take here. It, it may be too adult for star wars but i like it i do like the disappointing aspect <laughs> more than just oh no someone died now i need to go and get my shit together because it's yeah where's this hat i mean luke skywalker he's he's a perfect example oh someone's dead guess i gotta go be a hero now yeah i mean even to a degree with anakin you know like he yeah his you know he left because he was a slave but his Again, like his parents end up, his mom ends up getting fucking killed. So like everybody's got parental issues in Star Wars, which is kind of the whole like, you know, one of George's tropes that he built into it. But like, I feel like with this one, you could take a different angle other than like she got killed, too. Like I f that that would be a little bit more powerful. I'm glad you just like mentioned you that with, with George and the family stuff, because I finally checked out the first episode of that Icons. It, I think it's Vice does it. Icons unearthed Star yeah. Wars, and, and Bat's been on yeah. here, you know, yammering about it. And I'm like, all right, I check it out. And I took it. I, I I checked it out, and it is fantastic. It's like yeah. the dark side of making those films. Where where what you get on Disney Plus, it does talk about some of the problems and some of the you know, issues George had with, with the people that he was working with. But this, this thing, Nick, I mean, it, it only focuses on the bad of making star Wars and like how, uh, shitty George's father was. And I guess I never realized that. And, and it's why I, I'm so drawn to the, the story of Vader and Luke. It, it, it's essentially George dealing with his dad. 
And, you know, I know yeah. there's good in you because apparently George's dad was just a fucking puke. Like, George, you're never going to amount to be anything. Uh, working in Hollywood's a loser job. You need to own your own business and do your own, make your own way and blah, blah, blah. You're a loser. And so a lot of what you see in in the story of Vader and Luke, I think, is essentially George and his dad. So thanks for bringing that up. I, I did want to talk about that. The other thing I got from this, Marsha Lucas, she's the reason Obi-Wan Kenobi dies. I, I found that to be interesting. I did not know that. Apparently, he was supposed to live in A New Hope, and during the attack on the Death Star, he was just going to be on in the Yavin uh, war room talking to Luke over a, a headset. And she's like, no, you know, if wow, if we actually kill him and, and we use the Force and make the Force this this big thing like George was trying to do, then it, it, it it's going to be bit better. And so there you go. Were they already divorced by the prequels? Maybe that's why those movies were yes, so bad. Yes, I believe. I have not made it there. And he, here's <laughs> the reason why I haven't made it. Bat didn't fucking tell me this part. Only the first episode's on YouTube. All the other, you have to have a cable subscription to watch the fucking Vice app. And because I'm a cable cutter, I I, I don't have it. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to either sign up for a service for seven days to watch the the five other parts of this Icons on Earth Star Wars documentary. Because apparently it covers Empire, Jedi, and then into the prequels like you you were asking. So, um... But it it was, I loved it. So thank you, Bat, but fuck you for teasing me here because I haven't <laughs> been able to watch the second episode yet. And they leave the first episode on a, on a cliffhanger because apparently the UK cast and crew were so mean to George. Like he almost died because he was so fucking oh my like God. mentally fucked in his head. Like he wouldn't eat or sleep that he, he was like dying over there. But it. Why would you make Pinewood in the UK? Because it was cheap. Apparently, to make a movie back then in England was, I think she said it was four to five times cheaper than doing it in Hollywood. So that's why he did it. But dude, everyone there, I mean, you don't know this stuff because all you know is Star Wars went on to become one of the biggest things of all time. But when he was making this, I mean, people treated him like shit. Like, fuck you, George. Shut up, you dork. Like you can't shoot it this way, you you novice, you idiot. I, I guess the director of photography was just like this huge cocksucker to him. Like fuck you, you American upstart. This is how we're gonna shoot it. I can't shoot these fucking scenes because they're so dark. This movie's stupid. You're an asshole. And it's like Christ. And wow, I just I would I would what I would want to be in George's head when the movie popped. Because if I was him, I would line up all these motherfuckers in a room and do the half-baked scene. You know, when the guy goes in and quits the fast fuck food you, store, like, fuck you, fuck you, yeah. fuck you you're cool, <laughs> fuck you, I'm out. Like that. It's just like, I'm damn. Uh, so. Yeah. Dude, that's fucking wild. Uh <laughs> It's worth, hey. I did not, uh, I did not expect him to have such a backlash with his own crew making the movie. That oh, they do. They hated crazy. his guts. They hated his guts. And then, you know, the one thing you kind of learn in the Disney plus documentary is that 
uh, the upstart ILM, like while he's getting his teeth kicked in over in Europe and everyone hates him and the studio is ready to pull the plug, <laughs> fucking Dykstra and everyone in, in Van Nuys at the ILM warehouse, they're like having a huge fucking party. They've spent a million dollars already and they had one special effects shot done for George when he got back from principal photography. And it was a shot of the uh, escape pod shooting out of the uh, Tanty 4 from A New Hope, you know, where you, you see it, the, the escape pod shoot out into the dark of space. That was it. So George has the worst shoot of his life, feels like a loser. Everyone told him he's a failure and this movie sucked. He gets back to his team where he's like, all right, at least the special effects are going to make me happy. And Dykstra's like, yeah, we uh, we spent a million dollars so far and we've got this one shot of an escape pod shooting <laughs> out. <laughs> like, look at this. Yeah. So there... <laughs> Worth a I think uh, okay. while they don't go into it in detail in the Disney Plus documentary on ILM, I think it's pretty clear that the reason John Dykstra didn't get invited up to ILM proper in Marin County is because of A New Hope and and all the fucking stress <laughs> that he put George through. So sorry about oh, that. A little little no. side tangent there, but if you've got the Vice app or the Vice channel, well worth checking out. I mean it. It, it gets a little, I think people are a little more honest and, and it gets into the, the, the darker side of making Star Wars than what you get in the Disney Plus. Ritchie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. I think we covered Marva. Uh, I don't really care about her second quote. This is the guy I'm most concerned about. I, I, I think Luthen Rao, Luthen Rao. Uh, is going to be one of the most exciting new characters introduced via Andor. And it's because this guy is essentially, he's going to be a character we, we, we really haven't seen. I, I, I guess the closest you could argue would be a Bail Organa type, a guy that has toes in two different ponds where he's playing the mm-hmm. political game, but he's also behind the scenes kind of working with the fomenters of rebellion where Luth dude I think he's like you you're ex- you're exactly describing Palpatine except he's just the light side version of Palpatine yeah. so here this is from Tony it's, it's kind of setting up Luth and, and then we'll talk a bit more on where we may think he he's going to go or, or exactly what he's going to do so Luthen Rail is the master puppeteer of our show. Right there, that's a great selling point. He is a character that links many characters, and he comes at the revolution with an incredible intensity. When you meet him, he's got a secret identity. He has a very upscale gallery where he sells galactic antiqui- antiquities. But the hunt for antiquities gives him permission to go off and fly around and do different things. Luthen has been out in the galaxy for the past 13 years talent scouting, building relationships, buying stolen military equipment from one place, selling it someplace else, making sure that people talk to each other, building this huge network. He deals with Mon Mothma on one end and he finds Cassian on the other end. The timing of their meeting is very providential for both of them. Luthen is somebody who's dedicated his life to the rebellion, who's prepared to give his life to the rebellion and expects you to do the same. He is somebody who is ruthless to the core and has such incredible drive and intelligence and is always thinking 10 moves ahead to everybody else. 
Dude, he yeah, no, he is the rebellion's Palpatine. That's yeah. exactly even what more he is. so than like than the, Bail Organa or Mon Mothma. I think yeah. I think this guy we're finally gonna see, as Tony calls him, the master puppeteer, the guy that got out there day one, like it said, thirteen years. He wasn't fucking sitting around for five years or until the Death Star was almost built. He was doing this day one as someone that had a position of not so much political power, but society power, kind of being this antiquities dealer. Yeah. Like, you got to figure he's, he, we, we just saw the image of his, probably his shop. I mean, he's he's very well off. He meets with the likes of Mon yeah. Mothmas. But on the other hand, he's, he's kind of like Bruce Wayne, is he not? Doesn't he sound a little bit, kind I mean, of. he's not doing the fighting himself, but he's doing the, the, the master detective stuff and the recruiting and, and kind of uh, uh, putting all the, the right people in, in pieces together. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison to somebody who's not in Star Wars. Like maybe that's in like MCU or yeah, something there, like there's that. Not... But it's, it's, it's almost like he's like Nick Fury. Like Nick Fury not necessarily like doesn't have like the the facade that uh, I got has, so, but Nick, like Nick Fury was the one who's like putting everything together. I got you. So like, he's building this Nick shit. Fury. If Nick Fury ran a pawn shop, something like that, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, like his that. front was a pawn shop versus being an antiquities dealer, but, but you know, kind of, I got, I got yeah. you. That makes sense. Yes. So, you know, maybe not out on the front lines, but doing everything in the background and pulling on everyone's strings to kind of get the front lines to form and to identify who and what needs to be acquired to get the job done. And and quite frankly, if you read about him and, you know, he's ruthless and this and that, he sounds like Cassian's true mentor. I, I mean, I think the Cassian we yeah. see in Rogue One is modeled after who Luthen sounds like he is. You know, someone that is willing to die for the cause, kill for the cause, and do extremely shady shit for the cause. So uh, I, yeah. I think these two are probably going to end up getting probably closer than most of the talent Luthen has scouted over the past 13 years. Yeah, it seems so. Seems so. You could see them riding on the bike together too, and the image that you use. But yeah, I think that he's gonna like Cassian may be like his. I don't want to say his golden child, but like his his proudest uh, recruit. Yeah, exactly. Recruit. Like he 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 favors him a bit, or, or maybe takes a liking to yeah. him, or sees something in him that he knows that I'm probably not going to be here forever. Maybe I can pass off some of my skills, contacts, and knowledge to you. Because you're someone I feel like could kind of take my mantle as this master puppeteer, and that's really what Cassian was. I mean, he was he was their their fixer. He was their gray man. You know, he was their Mission Impossible. He was their what's his name, Ethan. I mean, he he's someone that if he got caught, they would they would they would forget about him. Like, what, what do you mean, Cassian? There's no Cassian here. We don't have any records of a Cassian. I mean, he, he was their Navy SEAL, expendable, never on book. His missions were never detailed, always black ops. And uh, the other interesting thing about Luthen, at least for us fans, you know, we, we learn about he's an antiquities dealer. We've seen the one image. He's got Beskar armor in his office or his shop. 
I, I think we could get Luthen could be our our delivery vehicle for all cool sorts of Easter eggs and or yeah. cameos like hey Luthen's on this planet oh I remember that planet look there's that thing and oh there's that character uh, Nick isn't in the last trailer wasn't we see Luthen more or less meeting with Saul correct so I mean yeah. he is he's on yeah, yeah so you, you yeah. gotta figure Luthen it has been working with Saul for years now probably and, and maybe he loops in Saul the casting like hey I got this new guy check him out send him on a mission he's more like your type of rebel a little you know a few screws yeah, loose a little a little, little more lethal a little more willing to do what it takes than mothma's crew over there on on yavin um does Luthen make it out of season one knowing that we still mm. have four years I, of rebellion gathering to detail in season two I think that he would make it out of season one. I wouldn't even be surprised if he made it out of season two as well. Like a character like this, especially somebody who's like super, super involved in the beginning of the of the rebellion and like recruiting and everything that he's doing now doesn't necessarily need to die for them to like exit stage left for lack of a better term like he could fade into the background and like just let the rebellion work at a certain point because all the heavy lifting's kind of been done I, already and like position i know what you're i know what you're saying but just based on tony's description of this character i don't feel like a luthan would ever just fade I, I i feel like he's either staying in the forefront either in you know up top calling the shots or he's going out in a, in a blaze of glory i don't i don't think he just ever sits there one day and goes hey we just blew up the death star my my work here is done that, that's just my take I, I feel like this guy is going to eventually dedicate his full life meaning his his soul and body to the rebellion but now i think i i, I believe stellan was the one that kind of tipped it off that they were going to do a season two so i I do think he he might make it out and probably die off in in season two, and maybe give yeah, maybe, maybe give so. Cassian even more motivation to another a third dead parent <laughs> figure to, to really right. drive That's home. That's right. The fact yeah, we're, that we're the really empire's bad. we're really gonna reiterate <laughs> like, for Cassian. Like, oh no, you killed my mom, <laughs> and then you killed my stepmom, and then you killed my my basically you killed, you killed my recruiter. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, it's like. Like, Fuck dude, you, Empire! It. You killed my we recruiter! Imp I'm yeah. gonna get you! It's the yeah. last thing I do! <laughs> the Empire has literally <laughs> killed everybody that Cassian's ever cared about. <laughs> Maybe they, they literally go that route. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We'll I can see. see like a montage, you know? Like a, like a Rambo montage. He's getting all ready. He's like, first, you took my real family. Then he's like, da, 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 you know, a few more scenes of music. And then he ties yeah. his he ties his headband on. Then you took my adopted mother. And there's like, da, 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 da. but now you took my recruiter. That's it. Yeah. I'm coming for you, Sheev. And then it just blows oh up and he's gosh. running out with no shirt on. He's like, <laughs> how could you kill that antiquities deal? <laughs> oh, my God. It would not surprise me if that is exactly how it goes down that everybody just dies you like, took my mom we need to get you took our, my I, real I mom you took Wars. my fake mom we need to get better about <laughs> and that. now you took my goddamn recruiter <laughs> 
Oh, man. Next. All right. Um, and then they kill his droid, <laughs> yeah. too. I mean, then like, you what, shot my adopted mom's droid, you sons of bitches. <laughs> like, how yeah. much can one man take? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. For Luthen! Nice. Yeah, he's like. The 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 re rewritten Rogue One at the end. He, uh, you see Luthen running down the beach, and uh, Cassian throws Jin into the into the surf and just hugs Luthen as the explosion hits. That that's the uh, that's the special oh ending. Tony never wanted you to see Luthen. You lived. <laughs> Fuck you, Jin. Yeah, he's like, he's <laughs> like throws her down. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Bat, that's perfect. Do do kind of like the princess, the princess bride thing. My name is Cassian Andor, and you killed my yeah. my mom, my real mom, my fake mom, and now my recruiter. Prepare to die. It's like <laughs> okay, too much fun here. Yeah. All right, excuse me. Oh, that's see, that's why I like the Star Wars time show. Woo. Okay. Bix Kayleen. Who is Bix Kayleen? Well, everybody on Ferrix can take everything apart and put it back together. It's a city of mechanics and improviser, and she's no exception. She and Cassian have been flirting and dating and circling each other and breaking up since he was like 10 years old. So like I said, you know, a lot of us, be it girls or guy, whatever, you know, whatever your preference, you, you probably had an early friend Back in your adolescence when all those juices started flowing that you might, you know, flicked around a little bit, played with, kissed, touched, did all that fun stuff. And that's who Bix is going to be for Cassian and vice versa. Um, They're meant to be together and yet it's been impossible all these years. When we come in the show, she's done with him. He's burned every last bridge. So, I mean, Cassian's like a real fucking loser when when, when we're going to meet him. Like, he's just a straight up bum. Uh, almost like Je- like a Jesse Pinkman type. Uh, when we come into the blah, 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 he's burned every bridge, but they do have this business together and stolen material, and that will come to controversy in the first episode. So essentially, it sounds like he's going to go out and steal something big for her that's going to get his ass in big trouble, which is also going to get her ass in big trouble. And Nick, we may have another person in his life that is either going to be taken from him or killed. And it's going to be Big Scaling. So now we got to rewrite the opening. (laughs) You took my real mom, my fake mom, my on and off again girlfriend, and my recruiter. God damn you, Sheev. Prepare to die. So, um, <laughs> I, I just hope that <laughs> maybe it's something to do with like, the, all right. So you so, are right though. So like it, if, is saying that they're like in business together. Like, well, yeah. so maybe he's like funneling money or he's like, you know, when he's going to fence the goods, no, she's the fence. She's her, defense. That's the thing. Like her, she, she, it sounds like she's okay. working in a junkyard. So he's going out stealing the fuck. He, he's like. Tika, the Jawa, right? He's going out stealing yeah. other people's shit and then bringing it to her to sell in the junkyard. So it, it sounds like she, he's going to get her in trouble by him stealing something that he probably shouldn't have stole. That's my guess. And then maybe she gets arrested or mixed up. And 
I don't know. I, I mean, is she going to die? Is Marva going to die? There's always a possibility. God, I swear to if everybody in this show <laughs> dies, I'm going to be so pissed. I, I, like, the, we need to figure out ways to deal with characters that aren't just, that's not just killing yeah, you them. You could just, like, people can yeah, live lock them up outside. Blow up, blow up yeah. their business so she's downtrodden. I mean, you, you could even do that. She doesn't have to die. Bix does not have to die. Hashtag no death Bix. <laughs> um, more on Bix, though. Bix is a hardworking woman. She's a complicated woman who is very handy and strong. I wouldn't necessarily consider her tough, but I think she's a lot stronger and a lot smarter than a lot of people may think she is. She adds, this is um, Arjana talking about yeah, it. Adria. Yeah. Bix is the owner of her salvage yard, so she's very much in charge and in control, and you see it by the way that people behave around her as well. She's also very selfless and is a great and loyal friend and confidant to Cassian. So yeah, she's oh my she's God. like the nice friend that has a shithead friend that's always <laughs> getting in trouble, and she always kind of keeps giving him a pass, and when they're little, they you know they they play to spin the bottle. But ultimately, Cassian in some way is going to get her in trouble, which is going to make him feel bad, which is potentially going to push him towards uh, bigger and better things with the rebellion. But like Nick is saying, the body bags could <laughs> be lining up here. You know what I mean? Good God. Well, Bat's got a good point. It, it is the Rogue One's cast MO. is nothing but body bags in that movie, too. So might no. as well stick with it. Everyone must die. Uh, all right, Cyril Karn. This is uh, the guy we've been talking about. We we looked at an image of him before, played by Kyle Solar here. So this dude starts his journey in Andor as the deputy inspector for the corporate authority on the planet Morlana One. Okay, so he's not on Ferris until he suffers a spectacular downfall and vows to pursue Cass in Andor, no matter the personal cost. So yeah, I, I, Nick, this it sounds like. Cassian's probably going to do something that makes Cyril look like a dope. It's going to get Cyril in trouble. His ego is going to be bruised. And then, like most things in Star Wars, he is going to seek revenge. Just like Cassian. Seek revenge, yes, exactly. Andor is really, should just be called <laughs> revenge at this point in time. Yeah, I know, right? That's just It's probably a better term. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting character that because he's not empire so he's, he's not like, isb he's no just he's like not a, he's just like a random like security a local bureau cop guy yeah but it's like i don't like so what is he gonna like Andor's gonna have a random ass right. fucking inspector after him the entirety of the empire at some point and then maybe some people that he steals from is he is he gonna be like just on the run from everybody? Hey, yeah, we told you that's told probably you why he has to leave his planet. Yeah, I mean, he like I would hope that's why he has to leave his planet, and it's not because his new mom got killed. <laughs> like I hope it's because just there's so much fucking heat on his ass that he has to right. leave in order to protect those who are close to him, and maybe that includes Bix, and maybe that includes Marva. So instead of like just letting them die because he's a shithead, he actually does the noble thing. And it's like, let me get the fuck out of You're here. You're not wrong. Before any more bad shit I, I, I do down. hope that's the case. But, you know, it is Star Wars. It is Andor. And anything Andor is in, a lot of people mm. die. So let the bodies hit the floor, as they say. Oh, my gosh. Um, but Solar <laughs> did say that this character has a lot of moral ambiguity. So maybe... Maybe Cyril, after all, you know, Nick was like, how many fucking people can be chasing this guy? Maybe at some point in time, <laughs> Cyril's like, 
wait, maybe I maybe being on these uh, on, with these authority factions and corporate authority and wanting to one day work for the Empire and the ISB, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Who knows? He kind of looks like yeah. a shithead who's going to be a shithead. And I think I've read something somewhere else that he's trying to parlay some of this to get onto the ISB. Like his dream in life is to be, work for the ISB with the Empire. So who knows? I, I have a feeling Cyril is going to be a dick throughout, but you never know. Maybe he'll end up helping Cassian in some form or fashion. This character, on the other hand, probably will not. This is Deidre Miro. Yeah. And according to Tony, she is a true, true believer. So think uh, the armorer with Mandalorian culture and laws. That's what Deidre is with the Empire. You know, kind of like a rampart, a um, fuck, what's his name? Tarkin. Right. You know, the the old Zig Hale type of people from the Empire. She is a really hardcore advocate for the ISB. She is relentless. She is inspired. She has deep insights into what the rebellion might be thinking and what they might be doing next, anticipating their behaviors. The ISB are the worst of the worst. They've got their spies everywhere and they're listening to everybody and putting all the pieces together. Deidre is fighting her way up through this male-dominated organization into a pivotal role. She's ruthless, she's fiercely intelligent, and she's uncompromising. Goo or Go... She seems like Governor Price. Yeah. From 100%. Rebels. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the same type of, uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll blow up, you know, f- mm-hmm. my own fuel depots yeah. to try and uh, impress and the people like, above me. In the Thrawn, in like the Thrawn books that came out, like not the Ascendancy stuff when he was young, but like in the first new trilogy of Thrawn, like she was a pretty central character and you get to see how she like went from essentially like a nobody to governor of Lothal. So that, that was really interesting. And this characters, at least so far from the description seems to fall within a very similar kind of power structure. Yeah. I mean, she, she she pretty much, she's like crosshair at this point in time, you know, good soldiers follow orders there. There's no convincing her one way or the other. And when you couple that with her having her own aspirations to increase her own rank and power, she is going to be uh, someone to look out for. Uh, and she's, she's probably going to be yeah, causing sure. the most problems for Cassian and these uh, rebel factions early on in the Andor franchise. Uh, and I dig it. And there, there's a good chance, chance, chance that this Cyril Karn guy may be trying to link up with Deidre. They're like, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. I know this Cassian guy who was mixed up with this rebel guy you're looking for. Let me play with you guys. When I grow up, I want to be in the ISB just like you, Deidre. So um, the question is, does she remain... Is she the main antagonist, do you think? I mean, outside the obvious. We can't can't list Palpatine and Vader. We we get it. Yeah, they're the big bads. But for this series, do you think she's one of the main... Antagonist? It seems like for the first season that she probably is. It seems like for season one, she's probably the one who's like, who's like the figurehead that we pay attention to within the Imperial okay. ranks. Yeah, because at least so far we haven't been introduced to somebody of her station yet, like another Imperial officer 
that would be at her same not level. with this so, much detail i mean the trailer we saw yeah. that one room with a bunch of the heads of the isb and they're white i'm sure those guys i mean yeah they're, they're going to be yeah. present but i think you're right like you're saying she's going to be our kind she's of the audience's on the ground yeah, our, our, our audience's main vehicle to what the isb is is getting into um, yeah yeah i think so so this is, uh, I, I believe this is played, or Deidre's played by Denise Gu, or Go, or Ga, G-O-U-G-H, Gu, Goff, Goff. Um, she she kind of talks about this character. She will do anything for the cause, and so much of the time, she's looking around, feeling like a lot of her colleagues are very mediocre. For me, although she's on the side of the villains, she's also evangelical in her belief in the empire and in common with all great villains she has this absolute belief that what she's doing is right no matter what she does and she does some seriously reprehensible things so she sounds like a great person in terms of a a character Yeah. yeah for sure i mean we've seen other imperial like officers that kind of fit that build but they always like it seems like the ones that are like this, like always at the end, like at the end and kind of see the error of their ways. Like maybe this wasn't the right thing. I hope she she maintains her her like you want uh, no redemption for Deidre. You want her to, to die yeah. in her whites. I do, too, because. Oh, yeah. That, that's oh, another, yeah. you know, tried and true trope in Star Wars is the the turn. We just got one in Kenobi. Uh, right. We, we got one in the sequel trilogy. We got one in the prequels. We got one in the originals. I mean, it's 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 another how to make Star Wars page one. Make sure a yeah. bad guy turns to the, the light side by the end. <laughs> so I yeah. don't I don't Redemption I don't know. I don't think that's this. I don't really know if they're fucking with redemption for bad guys in Andor because it is. You got to think it is contained. We know where it's headed. So, and it's right in the beginning. Well, not the beginning, but it is like during the formation of the rebellion. So, like, this is the strongest point of the imperial right. reign still. So, like, there's no reason for you to have doubt. No, yet. It, it, like, the empire so. is doing nothing but winning and drinking tiger blood at this point in time. I mean, that is it. Their spirit animal yep. is Charlie Sheen 24 7. So, I, I don't know if they'll even pay much attention to these people. I think they're in there to fuck with our, our heroes and make things difficult for them. I don't think they're necessarily there f- for us to see their character grow or their journey. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. We, we also got to remember behind all of this in Andor is the omnipresence of the Death Star construction. Because we we should at least be hearing about the delays and the issues and is this the right thing after all? Because really, as we come up to it in Rogue One, they're they're just finishing the Death Star, and you hear about it from Tarkin as he belittles Krennic, all the fucking problems, the delays, and this and that and this. Yeah. So we we should. It might not be right in front of our faces, but you should be hearing at least through these Rebel cells, like we've heard this about this. The, the Empire, they're going to have this new weapon that is going to solidify their rule. There will be no way to yeah. rebel once they get this thing going. And um, I know... Th- and, like, this is why I think that Thrawn is necessary in this show to a certain degree. Oof. Like, it's weird that, that, that like, he wouldn't be in it because he was one of the biggest opponents to 
the construction of the Death Star. Like, he was the one out there that was like, we shouldn't be doing this. This is stupid. I have a better solution. Like, him not being in Andor in some respect seems like a missed opportunity. Dude, I'm with you 100%. Even if it's just a two-minute scene sitting around the table of other higher-up Imperials debating the merits of this Death Star project, I think that could do wonders. A, yeah, you, you get the Thrawn thing out in the open. You know, his name's been teased to, to show up in live action. You could get him in here in a natural place in the timeline where he would be having these types of conversations at these levels of the Empire, and they would be heard by people. They would be heard by, you know, the Emperor. And it would introduce to everyone that never have seen Rebels or read the books, like, oh, that's who Ahsoka was talking about. Now I can't wait to see what the hell she's doing with him, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. So... I'm with you, dude. The question is, did, could they convince Tony to get that that kind of canony, you know, like that in depth? Did yeah. that fall in his fan fiction canon as he said he explored? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, cuz at a certain point like, yeah, you 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 allow your creators to kind of create within the space and 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 do what they want to do, but you also have to be like, "Hey man, if you're fucking if you're working in this time period, this is a major player. Like this guy has galactic wide effect based off of what he does. And he would be interacting in some way, shape or form with your timeline yeah. and with your, Wait, you make like, perfect places. sense. So when you get him on the hollow, be like, uh, he's sitting there listening to, you know, Krennic's like, well, this delay, this delay, that delay, we're behind schedule there. And you know, it goes to, to Thrawn, you know how he is, all cool, calm, and collective, and he's just like, yeah, I've been telling you all this project is a waste of time and resources in our power. We should be working on the, what was he, the the tie defender or whatever, the, the three-winged yeah, tie. Yes. No, you're right. You, you're, you're definitely right, because he had to compete with the funds and ultimately lost out to the Death Star. Uh, I think he did get a few of his ties in Star Wars Rebels when he was kind of trying to show, like, look look what they can do. But ultimately, in the end, you know, Palpatine, bigger is always better, so he opted for the big old ball right. in the sky. Um, but no, I, I like that. I, I think that would make perfect sense. He doesn't even have to be in the scene. It could just be a, a hollow or, or a recording or something, but... Uh, Thrawn makes complete sense for this timeline, especially if we do hear anything about the Death Star, which who knows yeah. if they come out and speak about it or if we get anything from the Empire's perspective. Uh, I I know there's uh, some scenes in the trailers where you see these guys in jumpsuits with orange stripes. I've, I've heard rumors that that uh, could potentially be a penal colony. And all those guys yeah. are scientists and they're actually being forced to work on something. So what is something? Yeah, I remember seeing those shots like super early. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. and, and Cassian actually infiltrates this prison. So there we go. And someone with uh, some eagle eyes or allies, I guess, in one of the shots from one of the trailers in this prison on one of the assembly lines, they, they're like, is that a lightsaber hill? And if you think about it, I saw yeah. if this prison is indeed full of scientists that are working on tech for the Death Star, the fact that they're breaking down lightsabers to get kyber crystals would make sense and would be pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I don't, it's like yeah. 
does Gilroy get that nuance with canon though? I don't know. So we'll I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if he if he goes that deep, but also like sometimes that shit that like special effects guys can slip in because like all that's probably you know a lot of special effects are like let me slide in a couple fucking uh you know a couple of lightsabers on this conveyor belt as they go in and eat shit up so bat just we're clearing up some stuff from the chat here bat's kind of he's trying to get his ducks in a row here thrawn's typher and death star both from it yes but thrawn only got like a limited run he he was never granted the full funds and resources from the emperor that he thought he would need to actually make his case for the defenders. Uh, yeah. the, the death star ultimately won out and he never got them fully funded, but yeah, yeah. I, the reason he was over Lothal, maybe it was for the resources. I, I forget, but in the end, like Nick said, that general pride, she ended up blowing up the fucking fuel depot on Lothal anyways, killing all those resources. So, who knows? But I think Nick makes a good point. Uh, if if and when we get any sort of nod, even if they just don't come out and say the Death Star, they have to talk about it. I mean, it's a huge part of Rogue One, and Andor is a, an extension of Rogue One, a prequel. So if that is being discussed, especially in Empire circles at an official capacity, Thrawn, that would be a great place to introduce him. Fantastic call. Okay. And that's that. All right. Yeah. How are we looking here? Next up, we have some Filoni Favreau talk about the interconnectivity of the Mandoverse. That's right. Uh, So um, this interview actually just got posted today, but they did it way back during Star Wars Celebration. So we kind of parsed some of the things out here. I didn't grab all the quotes. Feel free to listen to these two uh, geniuses talk. Uh, But I did, did grab a few and uh, it's really just to kind of reiterate their playground and what they are doing and what they can do in the Mandoverse. And then also there's a few anecdotes I, I, I thought were kind of neat about George coming from John and a bit from Dave. So up first, John's kind of talking about their time frame and how they have 30 plus years to kind of work with new and existing characters and, and how that's allowed them to have this shared universe and how it's going to continue. And I think it's it's interesting that he he's already talking about skeleton crew, and I think that's kind of the angle I was interested in here. So here, here's what he says. All the shows we've worked on, whether it's The Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Book of Boba, now Skeleton Crew, they all exist within the same time frame. They all exist after Jedi, so I guess you'd say between 6 and 7. There's 30 years there that's somewhat unexplored, certainly on the screen. To some extent, it's been explored through fiction and through extended universe stuff. So there's a lot of room for us to tell stories and there are a lot of characters that are in play because we know who's around at that time. In the Mando, we begin to introduce those characters. We begin to remind people who know them already, or if you aren't familiar with the other work and you're just coming in through this show, we're introducing them for the first time. So think about characters like Cobb Vanth. Diehards would have heard about him. Casuals would have not. The Mandoverse has allowed his introduction into the timeline okay so this affords us the opportunity to have stories that interconnect and characters that go from one story to the other and that creates a very rich fabric for us to explore so nick you and i we know this 
We've tried to explain it to people when the book of Boba Fett was coming out, which John literally called their third season of storytelling. But I think the interesting thing is that Skeleton Crew is already getting mentioned in the shared universe and interconnected shared characters. So not knowing shit about Skeleton Crew outside of Jude Law (laughs) is like the main star and he's probably going to be with young actors. And and listening to what Favreau is saying about this universe they've created, I guess, what do you... How do we see Skeleton Crew crossing into Ahsoka, Mando, or Boba? Or can we even speculate on that at this point? I mean, do you you think Jude's like like a scoundrel with a bunch of little scoundrels? Is he a potential force user, which I don't think they'd want to mess with it during this time because we still have Luke and they'd be going with Luke. So is he Mandalorian? I I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about knowing it's a shared universe. Yeah. The first poster that we see of him, he doesn't give me Mandalorian vibes. Like what is still out there in the galaxy, especially in post ROTJ world is like this character of Kyle Katarn. Like who, who could this guy be? Is there going to be a Kyle Katarn type character in, in new Canon? And I feel like if we are going to take a force user angle towards this, since all of the other shows seem to be kind of like, you know, like they dabble in force user stuff, but they're not like focused on the formation of a Jedi Academy or anything like that. And like, we know that in old canon, Luke and Kyle, like, you know, they were, you know, the ones that kind of headed up to Jedi Academy and stuff like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if like, if this was an angle at a force user centric show where like this guy is, is the Kyle Katarn type character and these kids are force sensitive and he's kind of like helping them along. And then Luke Skywalker, you know, kind of finds out about them. Jedi Academy stuff starts to happen, blah, blah, blah. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it was that I doubt he's Mandalorian just from the way that he looked in, in the first like promotional image for skeleton crew. But then again, like they could just like, it would seem weird if they were just people who were kind of along for a ride. Cause we've never really seen that before. Like the, the, like a, like a prototypical story of like, we just got caught up in this and now look what's happening. Yeah. Like we've never really seen that in star Wars before. There was always kind of like a purpose behind. What, I know that, what that's, that's why it's, it's kind of hard to put a, put a finger on what the hell could be, what type of characters are going to be in skeleton crew. Cause like, I, I, I like the Kyle Katarn angle, kind of that roguish force user where it's like a Han Solo, Luke yeah. Skywalker hybrid, which I, I mean, Jude, looks like that type of character and, and could pull that yeah. character off. But I'm also, it's like, well, if you got a guy taking care of smaller people that may have the force, that should be Luke at this point in time. But like you said, if, if, if he's not focused on becoming a Jedi and he just uses his skills to be a better smuggler or scoundrel, I guess there, there's an angle there, or he yeah. could just be the, the roguish type. He could be yeah, like I mean, there's he the, could be the Han Solo of this of this. Well, fuck, Han Solo is alive too, so you can't even say that. It's like, yeah, he's still. What, still what, what type of people are in Skeleton Crew? God damn it! And why would they interconnect with Ahsoka, Mando, and Book of Boba? That it's like driving me nuts now. Like what? 
why are these people going to interconnect? They're clearly going to do it if John's speaking it out there. It's a rough one, but that's why we, you know, that's why we we do what we do here. We we take on the hard responsibilities for you Star Wars fans. Yeah, I, Nick, you may have like, the best take at this point. Kind of that that one one toe in, one toe out type of force user that is more concerned with using his powers, maybe not for the greater good, but for his his own good. Yeah, and and the thing is, is like. There, like we've seen a force user kind of like that, even in the novels with Corn Horn. Like Corn Horn, again, like this was post ROTJ. Well, you know so he's in, in the X-Men he's been canonized series. in Obi Wan Kenobi. I know we didn't really go through this because I missed the first few episodes, but the little kid that Haja helps get off um, Dayu, that's Corn yeah. Horn. Like legitimate, like okay. legitimately recanonized, he joins the path, and it probably leads into how he, you know, doesn't he become like an X-wing pilot with force powers or yeah, something? Yeah, he, he becomes. Yeah, he he becomes an X-wing pilot that's flying in Rogue Squadron under Wedge after ROTJ. I mean, obviously, this is all old canon, and then he finds out about like his, like essentially, like his lineage through through those novels like he's your main character um it wouldn't surprise me if they took an angle like that with this guy because the thing about the path and like you know all of that is like i don't know how old they plan on playing get like jude law and skeleton crew i feel like he's in his mid-30s mid-40s but like he may have been an adult that that has force abilities that was just never tracked because like what they were looking for, what the empire was looking for, they were looking for kids. Well, he would have been hiding too this old... whole time because I mean, yeah. he, he would have been yeah. born right during the purge. So, yeah. So like, and they were looking for like old Jedi, like they weren't hunting like adults that had latent force powers or something like that. So yeah, I, I think that might be an interesting angle for this character is like, the for like the new Kyle Katarn who right. like links up with Luke at some point and eventually helps put together. The I'm thing, with you. So. I'm with you because he can't just be like a full on monk like most Jedi. Nobody. Like he, he's that's Luke's doing that right now. You know what I mean? Like Luke's the one yeah. that's trying to restart the Jedi, not this person. Yeah. Tones actually remind me. I, I forgot to include a topic, I and mean, we're not going to go into because we're running long here. But it is one of my short formers from last week. Don't forget to check out short form content on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Star Wars Time Show. But I, I read an article and did a little short on Dane DiLiegro, who is the former basketball player that plays the feral predator in Prey. In an interview for Prey, he revealed that he is working on an unannounced project for Marvel and one for Lucasfilm. So the dude's six foot nine, and in my short, I was kind of pondering, well, well, what could he be playing? I mean, uh, someone that tall, your Wookiee's a natural choice, K2SO, or, you know, dressing up in pajamas and, and pretending to be a tall droid on set. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's involved in Skeleton Crew, because it sounds like they're they're filming it right now. I mean, what other tall Star Wars characters are out there? I don't know. Uh, there's a ton any alien right. that's, that's like what, taller it, it than didn't a sound human. like a like, it a didn't lot. sound like a major character but he's like i'm just thankful that i can now say that i am within the lucasfilm umbrella as well so you got to figure it's a a taller more more muscular character you know what i mean a little more a little more fit yeah 
Uh, he's definitely not playing Yoda, I can tell you that, or or a Jawa <laughs> or an Ewok. But yeah, you, you don't yeah. know. I mean, skeleton crew at this point, even the the leakers don't know much of shit outside of a a an adult man and some kids and uh, Stranger Things in space. Essentially, is what a lot of people have kind of summarized it as. Yeah. So, yeah, not a lot to go on, but. I like the the angle where he's I, I knew I knew Joe would would catch on my 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 musculature and my my muscle line there. It's George Takei would love you. All right. So um, other quotes from these two Star Wars gods at this point in time. This one, you know, you listen to this show, so you already knew this, but I think it's funny that John, even at this point in his career, still has to catch himself from revealing too much. So here we go. This is John on Mando season three and how having this interconnected world allows them to kind of set up narratives in the other shows to be paid off on in their own shows. So we established in the book that there was an opportunity for Mando to be redeemed because he had transgressed against the creed by removing his helmet. And among his group of Mandalorians, that is something that is not permitted. Now we know that there are other groups of Mandalorians that have different sets of rules in the clone wars. We saw with Dave and also with a character that I voiced that Mandalorians are very different there. So these different groups are coming together and we are going to figure out how they all, oh shit, I'm saying too much, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. The nexus point for all those communities, of course, is their home world from which they're exiled, which is made. I mean, he literally stops mid thought, complete pivot and just said, yeah, well, you know, Mandalore, that's how they're all related. (laughs) I was about to tell you that I'm trying to bring them all. They all kill (laughs) each other. Like I said, not not nothing we haven't already expertly predicted over here, but yeah. it, it really is. Mando season three, I mean, outside of the given Moff Gideon stuff and bringing the remnant back into the fold, it, it really is sounding like it's going to be hardcore Kool-Aid drinkers versus non-Kool-Aid drinkers. And then Din kind of in the middle trying to redeem himself. But in the end, he's probably going to end up reuniting the Mandalorians yeah. after, after some bullshit. I think they'll go through some bullshit. There might be Mandos on each side that might die here or there, just like Cassian, right? There's got to be death and revenge in all Star Wars. Uh, but I, it, it's just funny that it, he's, he's going and going and going. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just tell you the whole fucking season. And then just stops completely and changes thought. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, Mandalore, that's kind of the connective point between all this. That's all I'm going to say. I'm done. Uh, what do we got here? Th- this this is just kind of like fan fun. And if we are flies on the wall, I think we'd probably feel like John does. But John talked about what it was like to watch Dave and George on set. Because, you know, I mean, George or Dave is essentially George, George Lucas son. part two. I mean, he is George in spirit. And Favreau said, well, he's been on the set when Dave is directing, so I love watching George and Dave together. George, who I have the most respect for, fuck you, he's saying, fuck you, Dave, cartoon guy. (laughs) I've been very fortunate to have great conversations from from what I've learned a lot. But when I see Dave and George Lucas together, that's like a whole lot. Because like, how long did you work together? 12 years? To which Filoni says, close to that, at least 10. I mean... 
it was a masterclass. Every day, it was a masterclass. So I'm trying that every day and pass on what I've learned. I mean, it's the Jedi experience I've had. And so, honestly, that's my biggest responsibility now, to try to explain to people what George explained to me about why this all works, why it's different and unique from any other fantasy series or fiction out there. George lent it a unique point of view, and it's something that we have to take care of and work on to try to improve again and again and again. Take that, Tony Gilroy. Have some respect for Star mm-hmm. Wars, pal. Now, like I said, it's just, what are you going to riff on that? It's just beautiful shit, and it's why Dave yeah. is who he is and why he produces what he produces and why John and Dave are now considered to be the top two creators at Lucasfilm. And last but not least, and I I think I've said this before on this humble little show, they were asked who would make for the ultimate cameo in the Mandoverse. And of course, they've listed some of the greats already, Hamill, Werner Herzog, Amy Sedaris. But then they threw out the big one here, George, George Lucas. That would be the best cameo. (laughs) To which I I think this is so felony. Because he is the guy and he knows his canon. He's just so. He's like, well, yeah. he would have to be the son of Baron Papanoida or something like that. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine that they would be like, because he knows George has already been seen in Star Wars as a character. So if you're going to put him back in Star Wars as a character, he better be related to that character. That's why you got to love Dave oh, Filoni. Man. That is just so great. <laughs> that is so great. He's such a nerd, but that's why he does the what he does. Son of Baron. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's sitting there like he, he, you could just see like no, almost steam coming out of his ears like, oh, shit, it, George Lucas came Well, he's already been in it as this character. We we got to stick to continuity and canon. He would have to be a Papanoida. <laughs> this is so funny. Don't don't tell. Uh, don't let don't let uh, what you call it. Uh, Filoni talk to. to Peter oh, my God. He, he's a new character in every fucking movie about. he makes. I mean, it, that was always my favorite in, in the Lord of the Rings. He, he's like that bar guy in, in the first movie. In, in the yep. second movie, wh- who's he in the second movie? Second movie, he's in Helm's Deep. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He like, throws a spear right. at one dude. And then <laughs> the third movie, he's, he's, the, one the he's one of the pirate ship captains that, that, comes up, yeah. <laughs> that comes up a little too late before all the ghosts get unleashed. Yeah, you're right. That is funny. I love I love Peter Jackson. And I think that's like one of the reasons why I'm not super excited for Lord of the Rings. And I know they've dumped all the money in it and but the fact they're like, Yeah, we were gonna work with Peter and then we it started to become its own thing and then we didn't. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then we watched the Hobbit yeah, movies again then, and then we're, we're like, like maybe not. Right, maybe this guy doesn't know that much <laughs> about Tolkien. Yeah, it's like Yeah, it's like maybe we can pass on it. Right. But no, I what, mean, I what, think it would be funny. You if they, like to I see, mean, George got to fit in there somewhere. Right? I, I mean, I think George yeah. is a Mandalorian, like a Mandalorian elder or something. That would be fantastic. It would be so funny to yeah. see him whip that helmet off and him to actually, like, deliver a line. Because I don't think he could do it. Like, I, I don't think he could deliver no. a line. I don't think, yeah, George Lucas can barely talk now. Like, George Lucas can't talk to you without him continuing on in a string of words for at least 20 minutes. So I don't know if you could just give him one line. Also, his voice is so distinctive. Yeah. Like it would just like I don't know. I, he would have to be like if there is a council, a council of elders. He would he would definitely have a seat on that. But I don't know. If well, you can I him grant a you, Grandmaster of the Mandalorian clan, Din yeah. Djarin. 
That, that's a little too much like Lorne from Saturday Night Live, but um, yeah. So I, I don't you know. You are officially a Mandalorian. It, it would be funny to see, you know, his little belly in there, the white beard, the white hair yeah. with some Beskar on it. I think that would fit. Do you think yeah. if if they if they're like George, we really want you to cameo? Which series do you want to show up in? Which one do you think he'd pick? Oh man, that's hard. I think he would have picked Kenobi. Um, ones that we know are happening now. So the John and Dave one. So Mando, Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, Book of Boba. Hmm. I feel like it's probably Mando because Ahsoka is really date like is really see, like that, Dave's see we're on baby. opposite we're thinking differently then because I I was gonna say Ahsoka because that's his son's project and he had a hand in, yeah. in creating Ahsoka as well so I think he would want to I think he feels like if it's Dave's it's it's close to what he may have done and maybe that's why he would pick Ahsoka yeah. but. Maybe, yeah. Like, the only reason I went the other way on that is because I think that George is like, this is Dave's baby. I don't want to, like, put my foot right. in it and, yeah, like, okay. make it seem, like, too much. Maybe, but, like, Book would be interesting because Boba Fett is one of his character creations, obviously. And it is the one that has, like, the loosey-goosiest kind of, you know, you can kind of do anything in Book of oh, Boba yeah. Fett. You, you put George where, in, in, a, in a Tatooine rogues gallery, you know, get him... Yeah. Give him some makeup, make him look all thuggish, rough and tough. Maybe slap on a prosthetic yeah. ear. And if 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 Boba starts jet setting again, then you can work him into like you know if, you, if you're off tattoo. I just feel like I I, yeah. I I doubt he wants to do it, but I think fans would explode if even if it was just a throwaway. Like he didn't even say anything. Like if he just like tips his hat or something like that. I think people are like oh yeah. my god. Because even his even it his cameo be, in in Rots is it's his background as it gets. He's sitting there talking to his yeah. daughter as I think Anakin walks up the steps to the opera. So yeah, it's like you, you miss it so right. easily that like it wouldn't even surprise me if people didn't know he was it's just in it. Crazy like, man, like actual Star Wars fans didn't know he, he, was he in really it. is. Like uh, the guy in Hollywood after you know he proved that he was right about everything. He owned the world. He he could have done anything, but because of who he was, he he was you know that's just not who he was. You would never see George like yeah. trying to crowbar himself into something, or trying to use his power to get something over on someone. You know what I mean? Like he was he just yeah. wanted. He really in the end just wanted to make making movies easier. I don't even think he wanted to make Star Wars. He just wanted to make making movies as easy as possible. That's really what he cared about yeah. the most was how can I make this process less fucked up? Yeah. And now it's come even further than he could have oh, ever. Crazy. Imagined. I mean, if you think about like if you, and that's why some of these documentaries, I, I would recommend you checking out uh, even the, even the Disney plus one, but definitely the, 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 the vice deal. Because I mean, he he didn't know shit. He just was like fucking pulling stuff out of his ass for Star Wars. He's like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, the journey of the wills <laughs> and the Deke Star Killer is just like, and it all it just it yeah, just fucking worked out. I mean, brilliance. Man is brilliant. He can't fucking direct a, a, you know someone out of a wet paper bag, but in terms of his mind and the way it works <laughs> for making films and the the way it works for creating science fiction unbelievable 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, dude, it's time for the fan segment. No Mando game this week. We somehow uh, turned those subjects into way too much talking. So we're just going to jump right into the fan segment. Maybe we'll get back to the Matt Mando game next week because I'm chomping at the bit to show everyone how freaking smart I am when it comes to useless Star Wars trivia. That's right. If you need loose, useless Star Wars lore stored somewhere, you can use my head. It's got a lot of free space for that stuff. <laughs> but it is. It's time for the fan segment. The only Star Wars fan podcast to dedicate a whole segment to their fans. And there's two ways to get involved. The first is what we're going to do right now. And that is the question of the week, which gets posted to at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram every Tuesday morning in stories and in the feed. All you got to do is somehow get the algorithm to show it to you and then take the 30 seconds to... Tap, 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 enter. If you do, we might grab a comment and read it during the segment, which is going to happen right about now. Once I get Slack working, okay, you click there. All right, and now we can click over here. Okay, and now we can click over here again. And what, there we go. All right. So it was a bad question a week. If Nick saw it, he would unfollow the account. But the question was, <laughs> with over 190 speaking parts, could Andor's scope be too big and why? All right. All right. Yeah. First up, this is funny responses <laughs> is, I think there was only six total yeah, it was, responses. It was a horrible so question of the week. It, horrible question. Of the week. Yeah, there was a, had to dig into the well because there's just not a lot going on. But Pixel Rope <laughs> says, oh no, I have to go into work speak for this, but I feel like this is an odd metric to focus on for any decision about the show's quality. As a standalone metric, it cannot be used to measure quality at all as there are many other variables that are necessary to assess that's quality. such a perfect office speak. Pixel Road, by the way, is the fan that sent us those figures a few months back or maybe even a year ago to give away. Um, and nice. it, it does. It looks well, like he's know. into like consulting or something. So he's got the kind of that office space humor. That's why I, I found this one to be kind of funny. Like, can we really yeah. measure a show's quality over how many speaking parts are in it? And he, see, Nick, Nick's like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I am. He is 100 percent right. All right. <laughs> he, he, literally, I agree with every sense of that response. Um, next up is Mike Eckham, which is Mike and then Mike backwards seven eight six underscore star underscore wars. He says. That's what we need. We are getting too personal with the Mandalorian and Boba Fett. Love them. Spectacular shows they are. Andor looks to me like they're putting the, the wars in Star Wars like Rogue One did. We need the Mandalorian to do the same in later seasons, like maybe some First Order stuff. No hate meant in my comment. Love. Actually, I, we, we love so you too, Mike. That, I mean, It's very odd, Nick, to get a, a fan that doesn't, attack previous shows and actually just says hey you know they got a little too per personal but i love them i'm just hoping for something different in andor so that's a very a wider a very adult-like reply from a star wars fan so thank you for that yeah absolutely it's usually like fuck uh, you next, fuck, i hate yeah. book of Boba Fett all these sucks. shows suck <laughs> this one sucks and the next one will suck <laughs> yeah. too we'll kathleen kennedy yeah uh this Begro says it's 12 episodes and I'm sure somebody just saying the word hello counts as a speaking part. <laughs> Maybe like 
Who the fuck knows? I don't I know how Tony suit. Gilroy does speaking part it. counting in his it's head. It's like the biggest troll question of the week. First, I trolled you with it. <laughs> and now that these people are like, fuck off, man. Yes. <laughs> like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> Scion's see? closing out our responses <laughs> for the week. He says, uh, Scion XTC, he says, that's what she said. But in all seriousness, I don't think it's too big. For the number of episodes and assuming that episodes are about 40, 50 minutes each, the smallest line from hello or yes, commander will count as one of those speaking parts. So people are assuming that like literal like one liners like, hey, man, I, I, will count I, as I don't I don't part, think they're wrong. Which, but my point still was you, you don't even find that in like the Mandalorian. Like it's so limited into who gets to use words. That's all I was saying. <laughs> so. Dude, what I wanted to, I, I really hope that there is a scene where there's just a bunch of people, like, like a, a crowd, yeah. <laughs> row of people chanting, and that's a hundred. Right? No, yeah, that counts. Calculated it, 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 in Tony Gilroy's head. It's the galactic choir, like, and they're singing a song, and yeah. that gets filmed. And that, that he's like, "Well, they're all speaking." <laughs> yeah, man, we fucking that is get that that, that is something speaking. I could see Gilroy doing though. Like, see, there's look one, two, three, four. There's a hundred there, and they all sang a song. Yeah, they're speaking, and it's a part. Thank you. Like, yeah, man. We, <laughs> congratulations. <You> all right. <laughs> Up next, fucking Tony Gilroy. If this if this show sucks. Man, that dude is gonna have a hard he's, time. Yeah, I don't. After. I don't think he he's gonna be able to handle uh, the fandom the way other directors do, where they just ignore it. Like I, I think I could see Tony going like, "Hey, you Ewok fucker one one three eight. Here's why you're wrong." And actually has like a PowerPoint yeah, on like, like why this kid's fucking, wrong on his fucking. I'm just gonna do because like <laughs> I, I'm not like. He, I don't want to say he's beating his chest, but he's out there and he's talking himself up Fuck more yeah, than dude. any of the other guys have. But and we know man. this. I mean, we, we've been talking about this type <laughs> of Tony since like all that stuff on Rogue yeah. One came out where he he literally says oh, yeah. without saying it, I'm the man. I fucking hate Star Wars, but I'm the man. So they called me in, yeah. and because my name's Tony Gilroy, I fixed this shit. Garrison, idiot. Kathy's an idiot. George Lucas is an idiot. I'm Tony Gilroy, like that, and just fucking. And he then and now he's out there. He's like, yeah, I gotta read this Wikipedia Bullshit, stuff Dick. and go through all this fake canon. I was like, oh no, it's fucking stupid Tony. ass fans and their canon. <laughs> Why do you even like this dumbass Star Wars shit? I'm Tony Gilroy. That's it. That should guy. be Super Scoundrel's next shirt. Just, <laughs> it's Tony Gilroy with both his thumbs pointing at himself and then the quote under it. I'm Tony Gilroy. Just like that. That's right. <laughs> Get it done, Devin. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, I fucking love Tony, though. Like, I honestly think he's one of my most favorite Star Wars contributors at this point in time. He's just out like he is unabashed in his love for himself. <laughs> Like George Lucas just, doesn't even have like an ounce of this confidence or arrogance. That that's the nope. best part. Nope. The level of hubris that Tony Gilroy has <laughs> in the Star Wars in the Star Wars universe for literally only working on the final twenty five minutes of a movie is just yeah. un. It's we've never seen well, it look, before. He, he is a god. He parlayed it into to two seasons of a show that he has himself he made perfectly. It. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. And it's he's not going to let that meddling point. Pablo Hildago fuck with his cannon. Yeah. Any of this oh, cannon man. stuff. Tony. Not worried about We that. speak your name and we love you. Oh, okay. <laughs> we love you, Tony. So incredible. All right. 
So that, that wraps right. the uh, measly shortened question of the week because we couldn't even muster up five responses. Yay for the question. But fear not. <laughs> we do have one more segment that gets our fans involved, and it is what some would call our bread and butter, although I think it's our good looks is why people come to the show or the dumb shit we talk about that has nothing to do with Star Wars. But some have told me that their favorite part of the Star Wars time show is the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week, which happens every Monday on Instagram after young Nick wades through all of the features that I had put out throughout the previous seven days. So make sure to use the Star Wars Time Show hashtag, but more importantly, tag us. Like physically, when you're putting a post, go add tag Star Wars Time Show. You can't even just type at Star Wars Time Show anymore. It will not work. You do that, I'll see them. If they look good and they move me, they'll get featured. And then on Monday, if Nick hasn't had too much to drink, he'll pick his top five and drop it on your faces right now. So, Nick, who made this week's top five covering 8-8 through 8-15? This week's top five kicks off with at coleccionista underscore day underscore plastico. And it is an awesome scene shot from ROTJ where you see the pensive Luke Skywalker with his green lightsaber ignited, uh, kind of staring down at it. But in the background, you see the the menacing Palpatine always trying to pull oh, strings. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was a great, a great representation of just like the internal conflict, not only within uh, Luke Skywalker, but also the, the, just like the machinations and the menacing Palpatine in the background, knowing that like, look kid, you may think that you have this figured out, but I know that I have you pinned down. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of an alt take on the actual scene in Jedi where Luke realizes like, Oh shit, I almost went down the dark side as I was getting upper hand on my father, but I'm not a loser like Anakin and I figured it out and he's looking at his lightsaber and that's when he throws it down and said, you know, you're wrong your highness but it's a slight different take on that because palpatine's like almost already at his shoulder getting ready to whisper sweet nothings into his ear to try to convince luke now after beating his father like all right now take your father's place by my side and it is it's just a, a nice great little portrait style shot telling that story in a single frame yeah no incredible work at coleccionista underscore day underscore plastico on instagram make sure to give them a follow um next up is at sir dork 730 one of our favorites he was in the chat earlier he he might have made the whole damn show today which uh, i think anyone that does that should get like, like a participation trophy a medal yeah um, but what Sir Dork is showing us here is <laughs> how Luke Skywalker really feels about blue milk. That's right. Like he he had to drink it his whole life. He finally makes it back to Tatooine in ROTJ. And what does he Kicks do? Kicks its ass. He finds blue milk <laughs> and just cuts it up. He yeah, he wants to it. fuck it up. Um, yeah, but no, it's a cool shot. You see uh, Jedi Master Luke with the green lightsaber, a cup of blue milk that he's using the force to just fucking pull over spilling the milk out all over the place uh really cool shot use of color in it as well um very fun that milk stuff. does look good and it, it is actual blue milk I, I watched his behind the scenes you know what i mean 
Uh, but did he like mix it with blue food no, color? I, I don't know if you can get it in a gas station where he's from, but it it fucking comes in a jar blue. So, wow. Yeah, okay. I, I don't I know. know. I mean, I don't know if it's fucking sugar or some sort of cancerous food coloring. Maybe like blueberry like flavored milk or oh, something like that. Yeah, something. like like cereal flavored <laughs> milk is about the only type of flavored milk I'd like that isn't chocolate. Uh, you know what this is, though, Nick? He does these shots for his... He does... Uh, I think they're monthly challenges for the toy photography community. And yeah. this, and he'll always do an example of like, all right, this is what I'm looking for. So, he goes and does... Uh, this month's challenge had to do something with, I believe, beverages. Like, like shooting your toys yeah. with beverages or beverages in action. And really, Jared at SirDork730, I would say this is kind of what he's known for it's it's mixing brands in with his action figure photography and making everything look rad not just the figure but but the brands and everyday products i mean he had a great one in there non-star wars i think it was it was homelander like hovering and 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 laser blasting one of those uh red white and blue popsicles you know it just it just looks fucking cool. Yeah, it's like I saw it's like one. toys in yeah. real life. So if Jared's not lighting shit on fire or taking out bags and sticks of dynamite, he's usually doing something very very creative and cool with you know products laying a ha- laying around the house, and then uh, mashing it with pop culture action figures. And that's why he's yeah. the guy. I mean, you know, he he is one of the biggest forces in the industry at this point in time. He started the inaugural toy photography convention. Happened way back in June. We were invited to go. I might have made it, but that was literally the weekend I broke my leg. So he's definitely the man. We love him. He's always here repping, listening, sharing. Maybe one day we should go watch some of his live stream and be and be good people. But we're not. So sorry, Jared. We're narcissists, or at least I am. <laughs> but you know we love your work and we love you. So at Sir Dork seven three zero, the world's already following him. But if you somehow missed it, make sure to give him give him some love. There you go. All right. Next up is at Nexu underscore Customs, and like what we have here, what like I think when I, like when I was looking at this shot on my phone, like it really popped out to me because of like the bright colors and stuff like that. When it's like bigger on my computer screen the the background looks like a little like almost like little watercolory but like it's still a pretty cool shot where you have this huge ATAT that's walking down like a like a snowy battlefield you could see stuff in the background is like blown up and destroyed and then there's just a bunch of troopers there on the ground um taking shots yeah, at, I mean, at enemies and stuff it's a Let's be real, and I'll, I'll kind of pull back the cover a little bit. I don't usually reveal where my choices come from and why a certain shot gets picked. I mean, some some people, I'll tell you right now, it's just I'm a human. There's a subjectivity when it comes to appreciating art, and I definitely, certain artists, they just speak to my eye. You know, Sir Dork, One Six Shooter, Work More or Less. Holy shit, you should see what Black Series put out, Nick. I, I Hopefully you pick it. I featured it today. It, it's unbelievable. But, but point is, like, there's some artists, I'm it, my eye, without even seeing the name, is going to go, okay, I like that shot. What drew me to this shot, honestly, my friend, is just the, the scale of that ad ad. Like, I just, I really love yeah. how Nexu Customs 
captured the size of it because the, the toy's not that big. And yeah, you could be like, well, there were no ad-ats with clones, and I agree. You know, so there are, mm-hmm. I typically would not pick a shot that has some goofy cannon to it. But it was, it's just to scale that fucking ad-ad. The ad-ad has yeah. been one of my favorite, if not my most favorite vehicle of all time from Star Wars, even more so than the ships. Uh, this is one toy that always escaped me as a young kid. Clearly, I could get it now, but it, it doesn't have the same allure it did when you're little. Like, I just want the AT-AT! I want the AT-AT! <laughs> I don't want this busted-ass Falcon or this shitty non-Empire vehicle that you don't even see in the movies that they'd buy me. I wanted the AT-AT. And Nexu just nailed it. Like, it, the, the scale's there, and I know things probably had to be resized because I think those are Black Series figures or maybe they're TVC. Who cares? It's just a cool-looking AT-AT shot. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah, the, the ad ad definitely pulled me in here too. So good stuff at Nexu underscore customs. Well done. Make sure to go give them a follow on the IG. Um, next in the top five is one of our favorites. Again, this is at super underscore scoundrel. And this is an incredible super scoundrel piece of work from uh, or of uh, Cassian Andor for the Andor TV show, and this looks like it's almost like an official fucking poster. Yeah, for, yeah I mean, knowing, for Disney knowing this Plus. guy, I mean, <laughs> hey, did, did he get paid for this? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm telling you, like, just just fire up Super Scoundrels account one day or SW Props. I mean, these two, they're like on, they're either in a jet or on a Tesla going to some cameo function. You know, it's got like filet mignons and. And, and loaded baked potatoes. They're just living a fantastic life, these two. <laughs> so, hey, who knows? Super Scoundrel, our boy Devin I mean, could very well be getting slid some dinero from Disney at this point in time maybe. for work like this. The amount of detail in this shot, though, is just at, is insane. Like, individual hair strands. You can see, like, creases yeah, in, in the mean, face, furrowing of his brow, like, even down to, like, the stitching on his jacket. It's, like, you and it's I, we've, we've gone almost blue in the face before trying to describe the wizardry of real-ass painters. We're never going to figure it out. Our feeble minds just aren't capable of it. There's no capacity for it. But you're right, like, how how's Devin sitting there going, like, you know... To kind of form this guy's cheeks, I'm going to make some light strokes here. And to form hair, I'm going to put highlights in certain spots, and that's going to do it. It's like, what? Yeah. what? Like, wh- where does the brain wild. even come in to start allowing your hands to do this shit? You know what I mean? If yeah. you're like, hey, dude, draw a I picture mean, of Cassie, I, 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 it, it would literally... He'd either look like his mom ate toxic waste while she was pregnant, or it'd be a fucking stick figure. That I mean, like yeah, I, I, I there's no way that I could even come close to to doing what Devin I, does. I couldn't on do a, the red fucking case. random background splatter. I'm not kidding. Like, like you see the red background yeah. that makes Cassian's head pop. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right behind. His I wouldn't head. even think to do that. Yeah. I mean, I might be able if I found the I right mean, brush. I might be able to go like. Duh. And dragged across the screen, but I don't know. It's fucking wild. It is like this summer when I watched all that Ink Master. I mean, hear me out on this. I think tattoo artists could be the greatest artists out of any medium because they can draw like any other artist, but that their fucking canvas is flesh. 
Like literally, they have yeah. to draw on living material with it as you like sit there and that can move. And stuff. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So you know, uh, Cody tweeted him. No, I'm not sure if he's listening, but all you artists, like it just it really is a a a talent and a skill that my little brain just it it just hey that that's why we we speak your names and we honor you on the top five. It truly is majestic talent. Very very true. All right. So at super underscore scoundrel on the IG, make sure to give him a follow. And finally, to close out the top five for this week is at 97 <laughs> underscore parksex underscore photography. And it is an amazing uh, mashup funny. shot between one John Barenthal's Punisher and the Star Wars universe. <laughs> so while we've seen Jedi kill uh, stormtroopers, while we've seen rebellion soldiers kill stormtroopers, now we get to see the Punisher mow down an entire squadron of stormtroopers by himself with a big ass Gatling gun. <laughs> so, I love it. I, I mean, uh, I actually have this figure. This is a great Mezco Punisher figure. He looks great. Looks just like Johnny B, like Nick said. Love the practical uh, muzzle effects. Like that's all part of the the action figure. But it, it's funny just just seeing. This, this type of crossover and you got the Punisher as Nick said if you're not on the live stream make sure to check out the post when you're listening but it's just like bodies of stormtroopers that he is stepping over as he is actively firing a Gatling gun and behind him all you see is nothing but explosions and, and carnage <laughs> it just as, as far removed as the Punisher is from Star Wars this shot it, it, it works like you, I could honestly be like, yeah. yeah, you know, it is a Star Wars universe. It is a big galaxy. I could see this happening. I could see a dude with a Gatling gun mowing down a battalion of bucketheads, no problem. Hey, man, it it really does not surprise me. So if 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 we saw a character like this pop up in in, in Star Wars, but seeing the Punisher there doing it in his Punisher uniform, awesome, awesome stuff. At ninety seven underscore parsecs underscore photography. Thank you for the amazing artwork for to everybody who made the top five and everybody who made the features. Um, but that's the end of the top five, and that's the end of our show for this week. So, Matt, go ahead and close us out. Will do. Will do. Always a good time here on the Star Wars Time Show. Remember, if you do want to join in on the live stream, we do those Tuesdays, 2.30 p. East on YouTube, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. If your schedule does not allow you to do that, we understand because it probably shouldn't. But those that do attend, we love you. We speak your names. We got some new ones in there. Emerson Ford. Who else showed up today? There was a and there was a Darth Jedi in there. And then, of course, the usuals, the Sir Dorks, the Devons, the Tones, the One Six. It's always a good time when we're talking Star Wars time. You know what I mean? So... Uh, we, we, we need more people to play with. Last week I was talking big numbers. Things have happened this week where it might have been what I was thinking after all, but we'll see. I'll kind of let things play out. But the best way to kind of explain the Star Wars Time show to your friends or new prospective listeners is to give them the good old domain name of StarWarsTime.net. That's where they can find our handy subscribe to podcast links to find all the platforms we're on. And we are on plenty. Just remember when you say, hey, you can subscribe to our podcast if you go to StarWarsTime.net. Just make sure if you subscribe to a platform that accepts ratings and reviews that you leave one. 
because to the Star Wars Time Show, that is as good as currency. So don't forget, if you have been subbed up or you're just signing up now, make sure to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to the Star Wars Time Show on. If you are a new listener, we'd love to hear from you. So either try to get mixed up in the question of the week via Instagram at Star Wars Time Show, or you, you can use the site to send us an email drop us a line, let us know how you found out about the show and what you're thinking so far if you are new. Even if you want to tell us to go die, we accept that type of criticism. So please join in in all the fun. There's always time for Star Wars Time over at StarWarsTime.net. StarWarsTime.net. It's easy to remember, even if it sounds a little cheap with that .net domain address. But we're here for you. That's where you're going to get the content in between the shows. And that's where you're going to get the shows as well. If you don't want to sub to a podcast platform, you can even listen to new episodes or watch new episodes of the SWTS right on StarWarsTime.net. You would think with all of these mentions that we'd actually make money from this website, but we do not. So just keep the, keep the word out there. Keep new fans coming in. And keep knowing that there's always time for Star Wars Time. All right, my friends, until next Tuesday. And don't forget, tell all these new people, or just say it to yourself like a little nightly prayer. If I, repeat it after me, if I, Matt, listen to the Star Wars Time Show, the Force will be with me. Always. <laughs>